0: This week on Punch Mountain, it's Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Luke Robitaille and the Pittsburgh Penguins face off against Chris Chelios and the Chicago Blackhawks. It's winner takeoff for Lord Stanley's Cup. Also, Jean-Claude Van Damme saves the Vice President for Paris. More on that and your late local news after the game. Don't leave your seat because we're watching Sudden Death. Punch Mountain starts now.
1: Hello. Welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies, not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake, and I am joined as always by the man I call Sudden Life. That makes no sense. Mr. David Hata. David Hata, how are you?
0: If there is a perfect example of life and living, I can't think of anybody better than me. I'm just, I'm, I'm eating like an orange, just sucking out all the juice of life.
1: I'm doing all right, Mac. How are you? The perfect example. That's a uh, that's a lot. That's a lot to live up to. I'm doing good, David. Especially because, uh, unlike Debbie Gibson, I do not think we're alone now. Because we have our very first. That's a terrible intro. But we have a very first guest on Punch Mountain. Very excited. Please welcome comedian, actor, filmmaker. Animal advocate, occasional storage warrior. Is that correct?
2: One time? Gary
1: Lindo. I waved. <laughs>
2: I waved. Hi. Because
1: your friend and ours, Lisa Delarios, is like on storage warriors.
2: Yes. I, Lisa Delarios is a storage warrior. And I weaseled my way on once. I'm going to try to weasel my way on again. And that was my five minutes. of video. But there might be more
0: in the future. We, we, you know, I mean, people are dying left and right. So you can just be collecting all, all kinds of stuff pretty mm-hmm. soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, fingers crossed everybody.
2: I love old stuff. Give it to me. I love ratting through it.
1: <laughs> all right. We can clip that. through it. By the way, you do like so much stuff and like, <laughs> we're acting like storage wars is some sort of like tentpole moment in your life. It is not. I mean, well, maybe it is. You tell me.
2: I mean I honestly love the idea of going through a storage locker. It didn't have to be on TV. I was very excited to go through. I've I've done some like off camera with her like when she's done filming. I love it.
1: David, you used to have a uh, storage locker, right?
0: I did. That's right. When I left Texas, I was like, oh, I'll leave this stuff here because once I get a place in San Francisco, then I can move all my stuff. And so like I had it for about a year and then I was like, I got to start getting rid of this stuff. There's no way I'm getting a place in San Francisco. So like there was a year of having storage and then there was a year of watching my entire life just kind of get sold off on eBay uh, one pallet at a time.
2: Did you default and they got rid of it?
0: No, no, I I stayed up on
2: payments. Oh, you you got rid of the stuff.
0: I I finally realized I'm not going to have kids. I'm not going to leave this stuff to anybody. Like, does anybody really want my Pearl Jam posters? So, like, that was gone. Well, back it up,
1: David. If your storage unit was to get Storage board, what would have been the marquee item? They would be like, oh, yes.
0: I had a lot of baseball cards in there that I didn't tell anybody about. Thousands (laughs) of dollars of baseball cards that uh, I sold for pennies on the dollar.
1: You you didn't tell anybody about Were you supposed to declare it or something?
0: Well, I was waiting on my deathbed. I was like, there's more cards. And then I'd fade off. But uh, I didn't get to tell anybody because I just sold them.
2: There was the beginning of the pandemic when like sports cards peaked,
0: and it's funny watching the uh, the Instagram reels now of people just taking a bath on those, where it's like, "Hey, I finally got these back from the graders. Uh, it's been two and a half years, and I, I don't I don't want these anymore. And I spent thirty bucks each, and they're valueless. So uh, it's been <laughs> awesome."
1: Man, we uh, we follow different Instagram accounts, David. Uh, but also, speaking of sports things peaking. We on this episode are going to talk about maybe the pinnacle of all sports action movies. We'll find out Sudden Death, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme as a fire marshal. Even though he's a fire marshal, I do call this movie Hockey Cop, is what I call it. Now, Carrie Lindo, as our guest, this was your choice. What made you choose the movie Sudden Death?
2: I'm glad you let me clarify why I chose my favorite movie, Sunny D. It was not not my first choice. I first, my first thought was Haywire. I don't know. Do you know the Soderbergh? Oh movie? yeah, yeah,
1: with uh, Gina Carano. But it
2: stars um, Lady Mandalorian. Yeah, so I was like, oh, that's she. You know, we don't need to bring up politics into <laughs> Punch Mountain. And then I thought, I mean, I think it's like Kindergarten Cop, but that's not straight action. That's more parody comedy. So then my next thought was to send you a list of, like, 30 movies. And so when you email back, we're watching Suddy D. And I was like, oh, I guess I put that on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot. Because <laughs> it was a list of movies, like, I'd seen that I liked. Some of them were, like, borderline genre-wise, like, Point Break. Is that an action movie? Not really. And then some of them, uh, you know, I wanted to do big list because I didn't know which ones you would have taped before. I wanted to give you a lot of options. you know, there's probably some you taped that haven't come out yet. And I think I put Suddy D on there because I never seen it. I love a real just good premise based movie. like this is the premise. We're in a hockey arena. We gotta save the president end of story. And you know, it, it, I've watched a lot of JCVD. I watched a lot of his movies. In college, I feel like we would just kind of rent everything from the video stores before the internet. Before, even like video stores didn't have like an unlimited amount of movies. So you just rented almost everything by the end of senior year. But I'd never seen Sudden Death.
1: Shout out to the snobbish way you said internet. The, uh, <laughs> you coastal elites. <laughs> the in- internet, you flyover states.
2: To be embarrassed by my age that we weren't watching Netflix yet. Thank God, because I just wouldn't have went to class.
1: Oh, my God. Are you
0: kidding me if I had Netflix?
1: I
2: would never have gone. I mean, I barely went if I didn't have Netflix.
1: So if I got this correct, you basically went into a fugue state, and then in some fever dream, you wrote down Sudden Death. But I was anticipating maybe the reason was because you are uh, uh, originally from Pennsylvania, and this movie is set in Pittsburgh, PA, out of Pittsburgh Penguins game. Then maybe there is some sort of Pennsylvania connection to it. Uh, which maybe that was maybe that was a, a stretch.
2: Well, the thing about Pennsylvania is Pittsburgh and Philadelphia are separate states. We co-mingle at Penn State University when we go there after high school because we didn't get into our reach schools, and then we meet each other. But I've only been to Pittsburgh once. I mean, it's like a I forget a five or six hour drive, so it's not not a place. I've only been there once, although I liked it and I had fun and I ate the Castle of Kings, local reference. And, uh, you know, I had a salad with French fries on it, stuff like that.
0: That's no way to live.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I had a lot of Pittsburgh friends, so I did ask them. I wanted the scoop. I asked my friends Dan Hopper and Matt Little, very funny people who I met at the College Humor Magazine at Penn State. And, you know, they delivered. When you ask Pittsburgh, I think there's a lot of Pittsburgh pride. It's like a city, but it's not like huge comparatively to other cities. So there's a lot of Pittsburgh pride.
1: So, Carrie, you had never seen Sun Death before. But David have you? I have. I saw it at the Dollar Theater. I guess
0: it was uh Deerbrook Mall was opening their 24th screen Megaplex and so they were doing a soft opening and they were like, here's some stuff that came out within the past year. You guys want to see Jumanji for a dollar? Here's Jumanji. You guys want to see True Lies for a dollar? Here's you know. But uh, Sudden Death was when I had not seen and they were rolling it out and I loved it so much mostly because of the price point. I was like, This is the best dollar movie I've ever seen. I'm just going to encase this in amber like I do with a lot of movies, and I'm never going to revisit it again. I don't want to ruin my memory of this awesome time I had in the movie theater. So I have not seen this movie in close to 30 years.
1: I did. I watched this movie once with Master Pancake, and we only watched like a part of it. And I thought I had a pretty good memory of it. And then as soon as I hit play on this thing, uh, I was like, "Whoa! I sure didn't remember this child death to start the movie. Watching this movie again, you know, it, it did kind of feel like a spin the wheel, diehard movie, like diehard in a tick, 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 tick hockey game. However, when this movie goes wacky, I got to say, I, I think those are my favorite parts of this thing. Now, Carrie, to pick up a thread that you were putting down, I had one major question while watching this movie, which is why did the NHL and the Pittsburgh Penguins, why did they sign off on this film? But you were saying your Pittsburgh friends, when you reached out to them, wh- wh- where did that go?
2: A lot of information. Uh, yeah, basically, it was the owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins' wife idea. Oh, <laughs> She I- said, why don't we make Die Hard in a hockey arena and shoot it? So the Howard Baldwin, I believe, is the name of the producer of the movie and the then owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So then they hired someone to write the script and made it. So yes, that is why. But as my friend Dan pointed out, why would somebody make such a violent movie? (laughs) Take place at your stadium.
1: Honestly, that 100% unlocks it. The fact that the producer also owned the Penguins, because I read the article that uh, your friends sent along to you that mentioned that, and they asked the producer, like, what would you think about this movie? And he was like, I love the movie. I love my wife because <laughs> the fact that this might have been a vanity project. But yeah, in the opening credits, it says "based on a story by Karen Baldwin," a story which kind of remind me of that. Um, I forget the name. But the beginning of Cliffhanger is like based on a premise by you know <laughs> Cliff H Anger or whatever his name is,
2: and that article is uh, in the Athletic, and it's called "I Saved Your City: The Oral History of Sudden Death," and it's very good.
0: It's very good. And it's
2: better than the movie. <laughs>
0: it, it, it kind of is. It goes into why Luke Robotai was in the movie and not Mario Lemieux, which I had a question about. It's it's very <laughs> helpful. Yeah, this is what you do with your money. This is what you do with wealth. You you strong arm your way into hollywood and say what if we use my facilities and my team and my logo and my likeness to make a movie and i'll just i'll just collect producer residuals for eternity because as we know this was a blockbuster so i'm sure they're they're cashing those checks left and right still to this day
2: and Matt and Dan did say to the Pittsburghers that uh, bad n- bad yinzer accents, not very good Pittsburgh accents, they said, <laughs> and that one of Matt's friends was an extra in the movie and said it was mostly cardboard cutouts.
1: You know, there were scenes where they would show the announcers and you'd see the upper deck. And I was like, this crowd is not moving. It reminded me one time they were filming, I think it was a Johnny Knoxville movie called The Ringer, where he pretends to be a special needs ath- uh, athlete. And they filmed it at the um, Texas State Stadium, and I was dating someone who worked there at the time. I remember driving past the stadium and being like, what the fuck? Like looking up and like in every eighth seat was a non-moving person. And I was like, huh? (laughs) And then you find out later, they're just like dummies, like uh, the top halves of like, I don't know, CPR dummies or whatever, seat filler dummies (laughs) that are just in this stadium. It was very weird.
2: One other Pittsburgh insight. They said, all Pittsburghers love every Pittsburgh movie. A lot of Pittsburgh pride, even if it's bad, even if it's out death. Except they hate Sienna Miller. Why? What? She shot a movie there and talk shit. I read it. She called it Schittsburg. And so now she's banned.
1: So
0: she's the one who called it
1: Schittsburg. <laughs> I wonder what that movie was. Hopefully it wasn't uh, G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra.
2: <laughs> yeah they shot that in pittsburgh
1: it looks like a war zone they might have dark Knight <laughs> dark rises was shot in pittsburgh i'm gonna go ahead and spoil one of my punch-ups now let's digitally put witz khalifa in the special edition <laughs> release of uh this movie he could catch a hockey puck or something before we go any further i think it would help to clear up some common questions if you search Sun death on google The results include these frequently asked questions, so we'll do some quickly provided answers. David, what is the most common cause of sudden death? Uh, The most common cause of sudden death is Jean-Claude
0: heart damage. Mac, what does a sudden death mean?
1: Well, David, technically speaking, it's any death where you don't get to choose the clothes you wear when you die. That was big back when they were making like dictionaries and stuff. Carrie, how does sudden death work?
2: It's um, a competition to see who can die of
1: malaise first.
2: I usually win. I am a ghost. David, what can cause sudden, instant death?
0: Hot water and noodles. It's sudden and it's instant. And it's death.
1: That sounds delicious. All right, before we discuss the story of a French-Canadian man who would rather fight a small army of murderers than go to therapy, let's check in with some friends whose therapists refer to their sessions as, ugh, more of this mess. That's us. It's a friendship check-in. Our friendship. David Hada, how you doing? For real. I'm
0: doing well, for realsies. It's been an interesting week. My parents came to visit. I haven't seen them in about three years. It was a lovely time. I told them about the podcast. They asked no follow-up questions. It was the perfect visit. How about you, Mac? How are you?
1: Well, David, you live in a notable Colorado town. Was there any sort of like, oh, while we're here, we want to do this or smoke that?
0: No, because they had to follow my parameters because, you know, we're still taking COVID precautions very seriously. We haven't, we live in an immunocompromised house, so we're not really going out that much. So it was like, okay, you can come visit Denver and you can come visit me, but we're hanging out in my backyard. We're eating lunch out here. If you go inside, you're wearing a mask. They stuck to it. But yeah, we didn't get to go to like Meow Wolf or anything like that. But, you know, I, I tried to tell them, I've told anybody who like comes to visit, hey, can you recommend any good restaurants to eat at? And I was like, I used to eat at like three restaurants. They all closed because of the pandemic. So I have no point of reference to Denver. It really is just like, I'm in my compound. I'm in my shelter. I have become the, the king of like the Davidian. Well, I can't call it that. Maybe we're just like a branch of it. Maybe we're just like the branch. <laughs> well, no, that doesn't work either. But uh, I'm just, I'm. <laughs> we are an island unto ourselves. Carrie Lendo, how are you doing? Here's our friendship check in with you. It's been so long. How are, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. I'm about to move apartments. So I'm using it as an excuse to not do anything. Can't work on that. Can't do that. Can't meet up. Can't. Gotta move.
0: Oh, I I wish I could, but my hands are tied. Oh, I'm sorry.
2: I got old medicine to throw out all day long. Are
0: you still staying in the Los Angeles area? Oh, should I give that up? I'm sorry.
2: Unfortunately, I'll still be in LA. No, I like LA. I, I mean, I equally don't like every place.
0: That's fair. I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, which part of LA, if I can ask, are you are you going to any hip parts?
2: I'm in Virgil Village, and I'm staying in Virgil Village, which nobody knows what that is because it's kind of made up. <laughs> it's not. It's not really <laughs> Silver Lake, and it's not really Koreatown, and it's not really Los Feliz. Somebody told me it is also known as the anus of Silver Lake. That's not cool. But it it does make sense if you've been there. okay. <laughs> it's very close to uh, living under the one hundred and one. <laughs> got it.
1: Got it. Got it. I know how you L.A. freaks get down. That that area probably needs a lot of attention.
2: <laughs> it's cool, but my lungs will give out soon because I do live like under the one hundred and one. Like it's definitely like health rating wise, not a good location. But oh, I can get anywhere on the one hundred and one very easily.
0: Talking that L.A. talk, it's all freeways. <laughs> oh, I thought one hundred and one was a radio station.
2: Actually, there was a list. It was some clickbait. It was like coolest streets in the world. And the number one American street on there was My Street.
0: Whoa. It was
2: number 11 in the the world.
0: What movie have they shot there to make it that high on the list?
2: Nothing. But they do have Elliot Smith's Miss Misery video. He comes out of the smog cutter, which.
1: How about that?
2: (laughs) Which is now, which has become many other bars since then.
1: That'll do it. Hip Trend Center, Elliot Smith. What's that guy up to now?
2: Mac,
0: Blake, how are you?
1: (laughs) I'm doing good. We're going to the tri-state area here, (laughs) Denver, California, Texas. And where I live is uh, a fucking misery. It's the worst. And it's so hot that, you know, I have a a kid and like we'll watch watch TV shows like Peppa Pig and Peppa's playing outside. And it's like, oh, uh, you see that sun? That's a place we cannot go outside because it's too hot. And so we're, like, scrambling for any kind of, like, indoor activities to do on the weekends. And so we're seeing a lot of, like, traveling children's entertainment shows. Like, I'm I'm the complete sucker for them. So, yes, last week we ended up at Jurassic World Live, a stadium show with uh, people. There was a little, there's some fire effects. And then there's, like, people in some dinosaur costumes. All right, I wouldn't go so far as to say it was upsetting, but I did dwell upon it. And that is the fact that it is not Jurassic Park live, it's Jurassic World live. And the the little, the little live show, which was, you know, people kind of like moving around like human puppets to pre-record a dialogue that was played over the PA system, they were referencing like, oh, is this the dinosaur that Owen Grady trained? Which I think that's the name of Chris Pratt's character in the Jurassic World trilogy. Oh, no. And it's like, man, the show assumes that we all know... Jurassic World plot points, like, inside and out. And that kind of bummed me out in a way.
0: Well, but you also realize it's not for you. I mean, I'm not saying that condescendingly. You realize it's not for you. So, conversely, you would have to expect the kids to understand who Alan Grant and Ellie Sadler are.
1: So, th- which would you prefer, Mac? You don't need to reference any character. It's just, there's just dinosaurs. It's fine.
2: You don't think kids today like the first one better?
1: Do kids today give a shit about Jurassic Park? I mean, I, that stadium was packed. I, yeah, I guess they they must, right? Because the first one, you know, it's like a horror movie. And also one of the greatest action movies of all time, according to this podcast. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, they probably do.
2: They, I feel like they must like it but be- They must know it's better. Well,
0: I think that depends on how insufferable their parents are, where it's like, all right, you're going to have to watch all of these if you're going to enjoy the one that you like. like I, no, it depends on the parents.
1: The only Jurassic Park stuff that my kid has been exposed to is there's a Netflix series called Campertatious, which is, yeah, it, it's kind of like, it takes place in the Jurassic World trilogy. And it's a bunch of kids that go to camp on the island and then get like lost and have to fight off dinosaurs. And one of them befriends a little Incleosaurus, I think its name is, uh, called Bumpy. They like shoehorned in a bumpy cameo into this live show. They're like, Hey, look at this cute little dinosaur. Is this the one the kids call Bumpy? Audible cheer from the crowd. So uh oh, shout out Bumpy, oh. I guess.
2: Bumpy's a great name for a pet.
1: Bumpy is a great name. It, yeah, and this is like a is a bumpy little dinosaur. Now, did my son like the show? Uh, When it was almost over, he asked if this was the end. And I said, yes. And he says, I never want to leave. I want to stay here forever. And then when the show was over, he goes, this was so boring. So there you go. I'll never win. David and Carrie, is it time to drop the puck and slap on the skates?
0: Matt, get only two tickets for us. We're going in.
1: Before we go in this thing, in case someone has never seen the movie Sudden Death, or in case they have, but it's been a while, David, would you mind level setting, giving the back-of-the-box description, maybe?
0: Of course I can. Action superstar Jean-Claude Van Damme teams with Powers Booth, an attention-packed suspense thriller from the director of Running Scared, The Presidio, and Time Cop. Inside the Civic Arena, 17,000 rabbit hockey fans gather for the Stanley Cup final game including the President of the United States. What they don't know is that someone is planning to have the building and its inhabitants blown to bits. Van Dam portrays Darren McCord, a father who brings his two children to watch the Pittsburgh Penguins versus the Chicago Blackhawks. But when his daughter is suddenly taken hostage by terrorists, their special night turns into a deadly race against time. Her sinister captor, Booth, is demanding delivery of a billion dollars from the US Treasury by game's end. With thousands of lives at stake, Van Dam frantically sets a plan in motion to rescue his daughter and abort the impending explosion before the final buzzer. 1995, 111 Minutes, directed by Peter Hyams,
1: rated R. Good God, how big was this box? That was the longest description I've ever heard.
0: You gotta go for the VHS boxes if you want the longer description. This was back when they were trying to sell the movie to people at Blockbuster on Fridays.
2: It's one of those oversized boxes like porn used to come in. (laughs) Well, you,
0: you needed all the description you can get on the back of those.
1: Like, I got my porn the same way most people did in a uh, manila envelope <laughs> mailed to me from uh, a Pacific Rim Nation. Uh, so, somebody at Blockbuster or your local mom and pop video store, they're picking this up and they're like, yeah, but who's playing the hockey game? Oh, pins versus hawks. Okay, that's fine. A lot of not necessary info in this thing.
0: But, Mac, don't forget who produced this movie. You better believe the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be mentioned in this.
1: That's true, actually. You know what? <laughs> the fact that this movie is produced by hockey oriented people. Who also, look, guys, they didn't stop here. They made other hockey movies. Mystery Alaska, starring Burt and Russell Crowe, produced by the Baldwins as well.
2: Yeah, The are Baldwins. <laughs> Last thing
0: we need is another Hollywood Baldwin
1: family. All right. How does this movie start?
0: Mac, this movie starts where else in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? We get a very brief prologue where we meet Darren McCord, played by Jean-Claude Van Damme, a firefighter having the worst day. Then we fast forward two years to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Darren was able to score two tickets since he works at the arena as a fire marshal, so why not break the terms of his custody agreement and take his young son Tyler and younger daughter Emily, played by Ross Malinger and Whitney Wright. Meanwhile, the dapper and sinister Joshua Foss, played by the dapper and sinister Powers Booth, is putting the finishing touches on a mysterious plan and its hundreds of moving parts. So let's talk about the opening of this movie, Mac and Carrie. Let's talk about what I like to call the tragedy prologue that preceded a lot of 90s action movies. I think Twister had someone getting sucked up into a Twister. Uh, Speed had the elevator of death. And so this one has uh, our introduction to Jean-Claude Van Damme as a uh, down-on-his-luck firefighter.
1: Carrie, do you remember the movie Die Hard? Reginald VelJohnson, Johnson, the dad from Family Matters, plays a, a mm-hmm. cop named Sergeant Al Powell. Do you know why he's uh, writing a desk these days, more or less? Do you remember the reason?
2: I can't remember. Oh, he shot someone. Did he shoot someone?
1: He did. Yeah, he shot a kid.
2: Yeah, that's right. He shot a kid.
1: Now, when you were watching Die Hard, were you like, why don't they show that? (laughs) That one sentence thing that we could all grasp. Why didn't we get to see that dead kid?
2: Why don't they show it and kind of linger on the the fate? Why don't they uh, die into camera? Eyes looking straight at you.
0: In a movie called Sudden Death. I mean, if you're going to call your movie that, don't have that.
1: That is really funny because, yes, we get to see Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, or, sorry, Darren McCord. <laughs> Darren. <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme could be a lot of things. There's no fucking way he's a Darren. But he's a fireman and he's like trapped. He's like, no one's coming to help me and I have a little girl. The building collapses on him, his house. Which, by the way, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a house, but they they lost him. And when they pulled him from the rubble, the camera cuts to this little girl who uh, very suddenly got turned into a doll because she has a <laughs> blink, emotionless, lifeless look on her face. And I got to say, I did not remember this shot at all, to the point where I even Googled like, "sun death Euro version. Like, I was like, did we get an international <laughs> cut? Is that what we're watching? But no, no evidence of that. Uh, Yeah, I did not think this was necessary, y'all.
2: It is gratuitous.
0: So if you read the Athletic article about the making of Sudden Death, you get the sense from a lot of people that Jean-Claude Van Damme was a real horse's ass. So I wonder if he pissed off the editor of this movie because we don't get like a hero's entrance. We don't get him like busting through a door, chopping a means of egress, like trying to save people. The first shot we get of Jean-Claude is he's trapped under rubble with this girl. I'm like... What did he do to piss off the makers of this movie to where you don't even get like a hero's welcome for Jean-Claude?
2: Yeah,
1: it's brutal. You know, look, I don't mean to be a Jean-Claude nebologist, but yes, in that same article, David, it mentioned that uh, JCVD had just broken up with his wife and had uh, rebounded with a lot of cocaine at the time. So uh, I'm going to cut him a little bit of slack because he was uh, was gacked out of his mind, apparently. But we jump forward two years and something's not right in Pittsburgh. Like, we see this scene where some, like, security dudes, I guess, are in a car, and they're, like, on their way to the game, and another car rear-ends them. The security guys get out, and this dude, who looks like a, uh, kind of a heroin version of Bono, sticks his head out, and he's like, hey, uh, we lost our, I lost my dog. Which, why, what? He's like, yeah, so we were looking for my dog, that's why I hit you. A couple seconds later, they, these guys are, they're bad guys, and they oozy everyone to death, uh, which, a lot of overkill in this scene over-explaining why and then over-oozing people. But I gotta say, y'all, if these are the bad guys in the movie, these guys are bad.
2: Yeah, they're they're trying. this movie's trying really hard to make you hate the bad guys. <laughs>
0: but it doesn't answer the one question I have, which is, where is this side road? Like, you would think it's game seven of the Stanley Cup, like everyone's going through main roads, but they're taking, like, this side road. I, I almost thought, like, it was a popular sort of road where it's like, oh, yeah, you want to go to the, the arena? You want to go to the Civic Center? You got to take this dirt road this back alley
1: like i don't want to i don't want to settle in too much of a a groove you know being this picky but uh, damn it david you're right like (laughs) to the bad guys look. looked you know what I'm, i'm gonna go ahead and do the work for the movie the bad guys did a stakeout they knew everyone's route they knew these guys were like we'll save a couple minutes by taking this road that's underwater or excuse me underwater most of uh
2: That's Philly, not
0: Pittsburgh. (laughs) (laughs) I will say regarding my notes, I do pick this movie apart. I'm saving my favorite dozen. I'm sparing you the other (laughs) hundred notes that I had on this movie. (laughs) I'm going with like 11 more before the end of this episode.
1: But now it's time to meet our hero. I'll give him a a proper introduction, not a a holding a dead child introduction. (laughs) We we learned that Darren, his marriage fell apart, I guess, because when Darren reunites with his kid, his kid is like playing hockey with his stepdad. Now, did y'all get the impression that Darren's marriage fell apart because of his, you know, incident not saving that girl?
2: I just kind of assume because they don't talk about anything else. I feel like they needed a little more for a backstory, not a lot, but like, why is he why is he swole as the fire marshal? Like, I feel like they should have had him just like, oh, he took up martial arts because he had PTSD. They they needed something to like, oh, he's stressed out, so he took him mar- up. Like, I don't, all of a sudden, he's just like this fire marshal who is so ripped. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: French-Canadian semi-pro hockey player doesn't do enough for you. Like, I, that's all I needed as far as why he's- I miss that
2: part. <laughs> I just, yeah, that, when did it I, I read that in the article. I'm like, I miss that he was a hockey player. Oh, he talks about it in the room. Yeah, later. Yeah,
1: when he goes to hang out in the men's locker room with his son. Uh, great, great dad work.
2: What if I just stopped watching? <laughs> <laughs> just pushed us toward the middle of it.
1: You know what, that usually does happen in movies where they'll be like, Who's this fire marshal? And it's like, Oh, he's no normal fire marshal. Like, uh, he's ex Green Beret or something, which that happens later, but like in a weird thing where they're like, This fire marshal's a head case. Because, yeah, the incident with the little girl, the fact that she died in his arms, I guess it gave him like PTSD and he cannot be an active duty firefighter anymore. And so now he's just a, a fire marshal. Listen, just a fire marshal. If you're like, Mac, geez, where do you get off on this? That's the whole vibe of this movie. Yeah. Is that like, in fact, when he's talking to the, uh, the stepdad, the kids are like, daddy, is it true that you're not a fireman anymore, that you're just a huge failure? And the stepdad is like, nah, Darren's a fire marshal. It's real important, kids. But yeah, but Darren here, like, so he shows up to take the kids to game seven, which he managed to get some tickets because he works there. And his ex-wife is like, this is not your weekend, dude. Call me if you're going to take the kids away. He's just just like a weird chaotic energy and not in a good way around Darren.
0: Yeah, to answer your question, I, I, I think they got divorced independent of the tragedy that happened because he's not very good at communicating. He's not very good at knowing the rest of his family's needs. When he shows up, it's not his day. He gets him the next day and we meet Michael. We meet the stepdad. I don't get the sense that Michael's an asshole. I get the sense that like Michael is better for the kids than Darren is.
2: So this is not a very good introduction to our main character. I'm going to disagree. I think they got divorced because it's a trauma, because it's the 90s, and men don't deal with their shit, and didn't go to therapy. They had a great marriage, a great life. This happened. He bottled it up. He started getting swole. He didn't come home after work, (laughs) and you know... That he's divorced. He's not listening. He's not a good dad. He's not there for them. So she marries the accountant Darren who lives next door.
0: I love the idea that him being swole as a firefighter is off the table for you. That, that him getting swole was something that he did afterward, where he was like, Oh, I can't let that happen again. I can't I can't <laughs> let another kid die in my weak arms.
2: I think, I think the firefighters I've known are like just medium level swole. You know what I mean? Like they're like a cop, you know, they're not. At, as ripped they're not marines like he's like ridiculous like just doing you know flipping through the air he's flipping through the air and kicking people i think he's kind
0: of a calendar quality firefighter i think he's o- he's like a ringer he's only there to be in the calendar every year he's just that buff
2: he's super cop to me i need, he needs to super fireman he i i need an explanation sorry firefighters <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah you're, you're not buffing up and if you are explain yourselves
1: I just want to say also that Michael, even though he's wearing like sensible slacks and a button up shirt, I haven't on good authority that he's got a hot little bot under there. So just just throwing that out there. But while this is going on, we cut to like a room where a bunch of people are getting ready. One of those people is Powers Booth. I think these are the bad guys.
0: I think so. You've got Powers Booth in a tuxedo. You've got so I've got a lot of questions about the staging area because there, you get the sense that there's like this warehouse or this loading dock where the entire team is getting their stuff ready. You've even got like a guy who's pretending to be the popcorn vendor showing up. It's four hours before game time. Like, don't you think they've settled on their popcorn situation before then? Like th- this feels a very slapdash for for a a, a plan with many parts.
2: I think you just got to go over a plan like that, over and over.
1: But these guys don't have to because they wordlessly look at each other. And then Powers Booth sets the timer on a stuffed Pittsburgh Penguins toy. And then without saying a word, they all just go about their biz. I know one thing about these guys. They're bad, sure. But they're also pretty cool.
0: But then also this stuffed Pittsburgh Penguin. So like he sets the timer five minutes. Everyone kind of scrambles like, oh, no, places everybody. And then the stuffed penguin blows up but it blows up just a little bit. Like it was only for the benefit of the audience. It wasn't to send a message to anybody. It was just like, we've got explosives.
1: Uh, I have to say it was effective. I don't know about you, but I was doing the sign of the cross. Like Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, please protect the people of Pittsburgh. Because if a tiny stuffed animal could explode, what, what could that mean for people? Uh, no, it made no sense. I'd, I don't understand it to this day.
2: I'm not going to lie. I don't remember this scene. Yeah,
0: that's fine. We're here for the details. We're here to pick apart every dumb little thing
2: even though I just watched the movie, I'm very stupid <laughs> and don't remember anything in my adult age.
0: Oh, please. Everybody listening to this episode is a little stupid, so
1: don't worry about it. it looks like uh, Carrie smoked a little bit of that uh, Virgil view. Uh, where do you live again?
2: <laughs> Virgil view. Yeah, Virgil view. Virgil village. Virgil village. Get it right.
1: <laughs>
0: Taking the five to the one hundred and one, if you know what I mean. Oh, I get you. <laughs>
2: Tough, tough, don't pass. Give it to mama. But even though I
1: refuse to believe that this little girl is uh, wants to go to game seven of the fucking Stanley Cup finals, it doesn't matter because they are off. Darren and the kids arrive at the arena hours before the game starts because fire marshal daddy's got to change some light bulbs in the kitchen.
0: Yeah. And that's also where Secret Service agent Hallmark, played by Dorian Harewood, is doing one last security check before the arrival of the vice president, played by Raymond J. Berry. Meanwhile, we also spend way too much time with the wife of the head chef, wife played by Mrs. Roper, Audra Lindley, chef played by Paul Mochnik, because I guess she's the key to Foss's big evil plan. Foss and his men sneak past some Secret Service agents and then blast their way past the others to overtake the vice president's suite.
1: So Fire Marshal Daddy, uh, aka Darren, he brings his kids to the hockey arena and he wants to be a big man. And so what he does is he introduces his little girl to the mascot. I don't know this whole thing of like him getting the tickets and showing off that he he's around the Pittsburgh Penguins stuff. It's it, it's kind of lame and makes Darren seem kind of desperate. But honestly, like introducing your kid to like the mascot. If I was a little kid, I would think that was pretty cool. I would think that's kind of cool. I wouldn't want to get there
0: an hour and a half before the game starts. Like at that point, you kind of feel like this isn't very special. Where it's like, oh, you get to meet the Rolling Stones. You just got to move some amps.
2: I coming from Philadelphia. I'd get there three. I'd camp out three days early to meet the Philly fanatic. Like hands down,
0: <laughs> no question. Well, that's the Philly fanatic. He's mascot royalty. That's I don't, I don't want to meet icy.
1: Uh, iceberg spelled the same way. Uh, Berg is spelled like Pittsburgh. Pretty good. Pretty good Pittsburgh penguin organization. Cool comment here from Darren because uh, icy is revealed to be uh, an attractive lady, and he like says something to his son like. That lady that you were staring at was icy. And it's like, oh, gross, dad. Do not point out that I was just making eye contact with a, a human female. It's like, you want to have sex with her, don't you, son?
2: I will say the kids suck in this movie. They wrote them to be annoying and unlikable. And it's not fun. I don't know why they, I mean, I feel like they do that. And like, even like now in what's the, um, the Obi Wan show, like little Leia is, is un, unwatchable. She's so <laughs> precocious and annoying. I'm going to
1: split the difference. I'd say little girl, great. The, the son can uh, get trapped in a Zamboni machine for all I care. Uh, he's a total piece of shit.
2: Like the little girl is trying to learn, pretending she's deaf and learning sign language. That's like a side story that comes into play a few times. I don't get that.
0: If there was something that set that up earlier in the movie, where like that little girl who got killed was like, oh, she was trying to sign for help. So this is a valuable thing to know in the future. No, she's practicing for being deaf. That was an odd line in a movie.
1: But Darren's big man tour of the arena continues because, uh, hey, a team preparing for game seven, a championship game. Sure, they have time to glad hand a fire marshal and his kid. So he takes his son down to the locker room and starts like bothering all the players, which, by the way, I thought all these guys were fake. I thought they're all like actors. Like, I'm not up on my hockey. And so what was his name? Luke Robotard? <laughs>
0: Luke Robitaille, who is a is a real one, and then Yarmir Yager, his jersey was back there, but I don't know if I ever saw him there.
2: I think my friend Dan said only two of them were real hockey players, and the rest just wore the jerseys of actual players. I'm gonna guess hockey players aren't good actors, so they just hired people. What?
0: See, I wondered that because, like, you know, Mario Lemieux was the star of the Pittsburgh Penguins back then. He's not in this movie, and there's a moment where I thought. Would he have helped the box office or hurt the box office if you'd been like, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Mario Lemieux, like, would that have helped at all?
2: Did you read the article? They talk about how he was injured, and that's the only reason he didn't do it. I did see it. that, yeah. yeah.
0: But, like, I mean, especially the owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins is producing this movie. I'm sure he tried to squeeze that in there. It's like, come on. Top line, one of my one of my players, please.
1: During the scene, we also learn that Darren used to play goalie, you know, back in a French Canadian semi-pro league. So there you go. He he truly is a hockey cop, even though he's not a cop. There's also a dumb exchange here with the team's current goalie, right?
0: Yeah, this is going to be uh, Tolliver, the goalie. And Tyler looks him up and down and he says to his dad, he's like, dad, he doesn't have a rocking chair, implying that a hockey cop has made mention that. Oh boy, Tolliver, he, he's an old man. Get him a rocking chair. But, like, Tyler's not four years old. He's not some little scamp who doesn't know better. He's clearly a preteen who should know how to shut his goddamn mouth when he's around an athlete. Like, you're setting your dad up to get
1: his ass kicked. After leaving the locker room, the uh, big man tour goes to the kitchen of the arena where they meet the chef. At this point, I'm like, why are we meeting all these people with jobs? What is going on? But then it's revealed it's because... Uh, Darren has to make his fire marshal safety rounds. And so he's just taking his kids with them. And he's meeting all these friends along the way. And Darren probably makes friends because he's an easygoing guy. But here, when they meet the chef, the chef makes Darren change a light bulb, which uh, his kids are kind of stunned by.
2: This is where they drop the ball again. I feel like I could have written Sudden Death so much better. Like, he should have been fiddling with wires and a fire alarm. Like somebody's fire alarm should have been beeping. Like there should have been a wire cut because then it would have made more sense when he was diffusing bombs. You're like, oh yeah, he knows wiring. But no, it's Hold on, playful. you don't
0: believe that this fire marshal slash disgraced firefighter knows how to defuse bombs? Are you lost on that part of this movie?
2: I want more uh, explanation and foreshadowing. Spell it out. These kids
1: are like continually disgusted that their dad is a fire marshal. Here's the problem with this movie is that we put firefighters on too tall of a pedestal, right? Because fire marshals, they keep people safe. They're inspecting things. It's an important job, right? I'm sorry that, uh, you know, just because he's not a a firefighter.
0: To look at him with disgust like, oh, he's changing light bulbs. Oh, he's checking means of egress. What a loser. Like, okay, yeah, maybe fuck these kids a little bit.
2: I think if my dad almost died in a fire, I'd be happy he wasn't in a fire anymore. <laughs> but these kids, uh, not so much, <laughs> want their dad to go out in a blaze of glory or nothing. <laughs> no pun intended. Nice.
1: And while we're talking about snotty kids, I think there's also an implication here that, like, oh, our dad is someone who takes orders from a chef. I think they're also shitting on this chef.
2: I have a question. Um I've never worked in a restaurant because I would drop everything immediately. Never make it to a table. Do chefs really wear those puffy hats in restaurants?
1: I did uh, go to a, a bat, an NBA game one time where we had tickets at like the um I don't know what level it is, but there's a fancy buffet accessible through three quarters <laughs> of the game there. And there was somebody like in a ha, fancy chef's hat slicing you some roast beast and uh, I had I well I appreciated the little like uh the little fluffy hat Uh, But yeah, this kitchen, it, it makes no sense. All right, after you deliver the vice president's meal, shut this kitchen down. It's like, okay, well, this kitchen probably exists to make other people in box seats food. But then also later on, there's food still cooking. So I guess when people left, they're like, oh, there's a steak on the grill. Well, fuck it. Like whatever happens, happens to that steak.
2: Kitchen safety was low. They left those fry. I've never worked in a kitchen, but you don't leave the fryers on. Do you think the
1: terrorists like killed an OSHA inspector <laughs> who was supposed to come? <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, because they, they even say, like, all right, when you guys
0: leave, the chef is going to close down all your stations. Like, you've never been in a kitchen. Like, hell, he is. He'd literally rather die. He'd literally rather get shot by, by people in disguise than, clear- than shut down stations for other people.
1: But while the Secret Service agent is going about his inspecting rounds... He's like, the only person who is allowed to green light people going up to the vice president's suite is this head chef. So if the terrorists are going to get to the vice president, they're going to have to somehow get to this chef. David, how do they do that?
0: By taking his wife, Mrs. Roper Audra Lindley. There's going to be some cool guy assassin who like shows up at her house and he's like, all right, just right, let's just walk inside like I'm your nephew and you're happy to see me. And so he sits her down and he says, you're going to call this number. And she says, that's my husband's work, which I could never tell you a phone number these days.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so like, she's got to call and tell her husband the instructions as to what she wants them to do. But this is completely unnecessary because we're just minutes away from Powers Booth and his men opting to shoot anybody in their way. So this bit of finessing is not necessary to this movie.
2: So you think Miss Verbra had like a minimum amount of stage time she'd do to be in it? So they had to stretch it a little? Or? Now I'm
0: starting to wonder if like she was a friend of the producer. If it was like, we need star power wherever we can get
2: it. It was so unnecessary. I thought she was like the president's grandma or something. Like I didn't understand why they were at her house.
1: Hold on real quick. Let me write that down in my uh, screenplay idea book. President's grandma or president, president grandma. That's better. Okay. No, but you know what? Honestly, David, I think you hit it on the head. With these hockey first producers, like all bets are off, especially because if the idea of this is like some sort of vanity project where it's like, my wife's got a great idea for a movie. Yeah, she's a peach. Like the, maybe she was like, honey, I watched the first edit. We need more of her. We <laughs> need more of Audra Lindley.
0: And the whole setup, you know, we're with her for maybe a good two minutes. It's just to make the phone call and then also be terrorized by cool guy, which sets up like oh, no, is he going to be rotten to her or something? No, he just shoots her a minute later. He just ends up with a packet of Fig Newtons for no goddamn reason.
1: Yeah, David, but when he makes the chef's wife call the chef, and it's like, you do what we say, you let in these bad guys or will shoot your wife, uh, there's a little exchange here it. The, the chef uh, makes some pushback against the terrorist. Let's listen to it. I swear this, if you hurt my wife out... You'll what? Burn my toast? uh i gotta say I, I laughed at that line i enjoyed it
0: i, I would have liked a moment where the, the
1: chef kind of looks at the phone like that really hurt but now it's time for powers booth to make some power moves okay by the way i completely missed that his name was joshua foss in my i don't know when they said that yes. in my notes i wrote down bad guy the whole time did they actually say that on screen
2: Oh, I was just gonna say they should have just called him Powers Booth. He already has a great bad guy name.
0: Seriously. Like I was halfway through my notes until I was like, I can't call him Cy Tolliver in this thing. Let me go ahead and look (laughs) up IMDB and find out. That was the only way I found out his name was Joshua Foss. Like, man, the fun that the writer of this movie had making the names and casting the people to play those names. Like, oh yeah, Powers Booth, you're going to play Josh Foss. Like, No, what's the second name you come up with?
2: Jean-Claude, you're (laughs) daring.
1: But the fact that their whole plot here is to kidnap the vice president is just so funny because everything about this movie is second class, right? Like, who's your action hero? It's not Stallone. It's not Schwarzenegger. It's Jean-Claude Van Damme. What's the sporting event? Super Bowl? World Series? No. The Stanley Cup finals. Uh, Who's being captured? The Pope? The president? No, the vice president.
2: I think it's smart move because, you know, the president's not going to the Stanley Cup. (laughs) Maybe the Super Bowl, but not the Stanley Cup.
1: Unless unless he like ran on like, oh, he's the hockey president.
2: Well, but it's also who gives a shit because
0: even when Darren shows up at his kid's place with the tickets, Michael goes, oh, I heard the vice president's going to be there. So what? It's game (laughs) seven. A hockey game's also going to be there.
1: So apparently they kind of like did a remake of this movie with a, a soccer game and Dave Bautista and i was like no you're david Teese is a better actor than jaclore fieldia that's i want to see movies that go the other way i want to see like uh, a highlight championship the action hero is david cross <laughs> and the <laughs> <laughs> the what? dignitary they've kidnapped is the manager of a dunkin donuts like i think that that would be let's take it down <laughs> more notches but so when they go in the locker room the vice president like he's making jokes or whatever and then there's this one a hockey player that like refuses to put on some clothes I think his name was like dumb shit or Dunkirk. What's his, that? Doesn't matter. Dunkelman. Dunkelman. Yeah. And the vice president's like nice outfit, Dunkelman, because he's wearing his jockstrap on his head. Carrie and David, if you were in a locker room and you're changing, and you were told the vice president was going to come down, uh, Carrie it could be for you. Uh, Kamala Harris and and David for you. It could be a uh, maybe vice president Joe Biden. So it's same sex. Would you? Would you show your genitals to the vice
2: president?
0: No. <laughs> That's it. <Thank laughs> a- asked it answered.
2: I'm just going to give a, a brief no. Well, you know,
0: I, I had to think about it because, you know, if I had something that could get a good response out of the vice president, where he was like, hey, looking good. I'd, I can't guarantee that. If I could guarantee that, because then I'd have something to hang on to forever. It's like the vice president, like my genitals. I, I don't know if I could say that right now.
1: What if it was a vice president that you did not vote for? Like the opposite, like some shitty Republican vice president. Would you show Mike Pence your wing, David?
0: No, definitely not. He doesn't deserve that. <laughs>
1: I'd at least hang a nut out at Mike Pence.
0: I'd put a sock over it and and just like pretend it's an elephant and just be like, oh, he's going to get you and chase him around the room. Yeah, I would chase Mike Pence around the room while I'm naked wearing a sock just to watch him freak out. That's my final answer.
1: Hard questions here. Now, one of the ways that the bad guys are able to sneak things into the building is through giant bags of pre-packaged, pre pop popcorn. Look, I don't want to seem like my innocence is being shattered here, but. I would hope they'd pop the popcorn at the game. Do they not do that?
2: I feel like they used to, but I, I don't believe anything anymore because those. I was just in a Dodgers game. Those fucking Dodger dogs are pre-cooked, pre-wrapped. Like you can't, I wanted onions. They don't know nothing. It's pre-made. We, we can't do it.
1: I had a friend who worked at uh, Taco Bell in high school and he said that everything was pre-made that there was not a knife in the kitchen, <laughs> which I don't know if that has to do more with Taco Bell's food preparation strategies or their policy of only hiring knife murderers at Taco Bell.
0: Either way, I'm happy for it.
1: But once the bad guys storm the vice president suite, they take it over and I guess they don't need that old lady anymore. And so they kill her. They shoot her in the head. These guys are bad. They're bad guys. They are bad guys. Like I said,
0: you know, they use this cunning and strategy to get to the elevator, but then once they get into the elevator, all bets are off. Like as soon as they get off the elevator, as soon as they get closer to the vice president, they start shooting everybody. They shoot the lady back home. Why do any of this? I'm going to hold back on a lot of this episode, but like from here on out, just think of me in the back as a voice in the background going, why do
1: any of this? Shout out to their recruiting skills. The fact that they were—I feel like we did some other movie where they were able to recruit only sociopaths.
2: I mean, sociopaths who can keep a secret. Like, I—yeah, I mean, somebody's gonna blab to somebody.
0: Okay, the the amount of people involved in this plot—we'll get to it later when they talk dollars and cents. But like, Powers Booth has to be in the red on this on this project. Like, he's paying <laughs> too many people out of pocket.
1: I think he was like, "Hey, who wants to work?" It's like, he's got a big bunch of bad guys in a warehouse. And he's like, hey, I need to hire for a job. Who's okay with only getting paid after we like move some money around or whatever? And like, yeah, okay. And like, if, you, if you're not leave, nobody leaves. It's like, who's okay with trying to uh, kidnap the vice president? Everyone stays. Who's okay with casually murdering people? Everyone stays. Even children, everyone stays. I don't know what dark part of the Craigslist they got these people off of, but uh, good job, they, they got them. This is a well-oiled murder machine. Uh, you hear that horn blaring uh, turns out uh, it's, it's hockey time
0: yes mac game seven is underway the pens get out to a quick one nothing lead but darren can't stick around nice because he's got to make sure all the means of egress are clear leaving tyler and emily to enjoy the game alone Foss reveals his plan to hold the vice president hostage for 1.7 billion dollars emily becomes a hostage when she is captured by a bad guy posing as icy the pittsburgh Penguins mascot which quickly makes Darren a thorn in Foss's side. And at the end of the first period, the Penguins and Blackhawks are tied at one.
1: So Carrie, that article you shared, the fact that this was a product like a hometown home team production, it, it unlocked another mystery for me, which is the announcers of this game. I get it that they're real announcers, but they're not camera ready. This one announcer, I forget <laughs> everything he says, he looks like he's about to have a heart attack. And I was like, God, do they not screen test these guys? But it's like, oh, no, they are the Pittsburgh Penguins TV crew. So, of course, they're going to get cast in it. Uh, in which case, uh, let's go pins.
2: There's a lot of bad jokes. And I think they have to deliver some of the worst, like punt and double entendres. I feel bad for them.
1: <laughs> There's also like a lot of like weird hockey terms or whatever. Like, who's that guy? Dick Vitale would be like, you know, oh, Dipsy Dude Dunkaroo uh, for college basketball. He's like, scratch my jaw with a hacksaw or. Buy Sam a drink. None of this makes sense to me. None of it makes sense,
0: but they do set it up when Michael is playing hockey with Tyler at the beginning where he says that line. He's like, oh, uh, Tyler's going to shoot the goal, scratch my jaw with a hacksaw. And it's like, okay, again, knowing who the producers of this movie are, they really want to get some screen time and airtime for their broadcast team and all of their catchphrases.
1: All right, let's talk a little Powers Booth. Carrie Lindo, thoughts on PB himself
2: love him. I feel like he kind of saves this movie because who is such a psychopath? I believe Powers Booth could be this, you know, he can overact with the best of them. And I mean that as a compliment, he chews up that scenery. I'm chewing with him.
0: That is the perfect (laughs) way to put it. He is chewing scenery because every other thing out of his mouth, if it's not exposition, it's a quip. Everyone on his team is so quippy. It feels like they had to rehearse their jokes before they got there. Like when the vice president asked him, like, what what is it that you want? And he's like, oh, I'll tell you what I want. I want world peace and end of bigotry and no more mini malls. And it's like, you rehearsed that. Like you were sitting in the car on the way there going, what do I want? What do I, I got it.
2: He's so sleazy. I love it. Mac, what
1: are your thoughts on Powers Booth? I mean, same. Like no one does that kind of like sinister, predatory sleaze the way that Powers Booth does and make it sound so good. He's just like, Have you ever seen him in a non-evil role? I don't think so. Maybe there's like a movie where it's like, looks like I got to save an orphanage, sugar dick, or something like that. You know, maybe, I don't know, uh, somewhere in his career. But yeah, this thing, he's fucking evil.
2: I was looking at his IMDb and he was uh, Jim Jones in a made-for-TV movie. Oh, he's so
1: so good in that. He's so good in that.
2: (laughs) Jim Jones, the shit out of it.
1: This is the first kind of like diehard in a thing where a villain comes close to Hans Gruber. And I think it's just because Powers Booth is just so good at being a bad guy.
2: He's so good. He saved this movie in a lot of ways. He
1: really does. Yeah. He has a line here I really like and let's let's listen to this exchange. If we're still lagging at the end of the second period, two of you will die, and at the end of the third period. Everyone in this building will die. You have no idea of the complexity. I had
2: it. an idea. I had this
1: idea. And we are going to make it work or we're going to die trying. The way he says that, like, I had this idea. It's kind of like, <laughs> just the tone is, I picked a restaurant and we're all going to eat there. Okay? When it's your turn to pick a restaurant, you can pick the restaurant. Like, it's just exasperated with these fucking questions for people. Which I get it too, because the dialogue here that these people are throwing at him, like, you're out of your mind. Shut the fuck up look, uh, when you have uh, some actual witty repartee, come at me. But until then, uh, uh, go die. In fact, when it comes time to kill people here, uh, he says something else too. He's like, who should we kill? And there's one person who's kind of freaking out. Do you guys remember who it is?
2: The mayor's wife?
1: Yes, the mayor's wife. And bars booth goes, uh, let me see, who should die first? Would you all agree the mayor's wife is the most annoying? God, so
2: funny. And it's true. She was being the most annoying.
1: Not Not a lie. But stuff like that,
0: like, you see the words on the script page and you think, if we can't get Powers Booth, we have to get Ron Burgundy. Like, that's real. We'd all agree that Mayor's wife is the most annoying. We're like, okay, that's the kind of person this bad guy is going to be. But then also, so she's the first one to get shot and her husband's right there. I have to imagine if some spouses are watching this movie, they would like to think that their spouse is going to jump in front of a bullet for them. I don't know why this mayor thought he was so goddamn special that he had to let his wife die.
2: It was a force majeure moment, for sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he absolutely was not trying to get in the path of the bullet. In fact, he he held his wife stock still so she could take the bullet. Uh, so yeah, not uh, not a great moment for the mayor, but guess what? He'll be murdered in a few minutes later, so hooray. Now, if you're like me, you're like, what is Jean-Claude Van Damme up to? No, the movie is not going to tell you. They're going to show you what the shitty kids are up to. And the answer is... Uh, The boy, Tyler, is being shitty to his sister, Emily.
0: Yeah, because it stands to reason that he's shitty to his sister because Darren is shitty to his kids. He's like, hey, I got your tickets to the Stanley Cup. Stay here. I got to go work. And so he's off like changing light bulbs. And even Tyler makes remarks like, oh, he's probably changing more light bulbs. But like he leaves these two kids to themselves. So, of course, Tyler's going to be he's going to take it out on his sister. At some point, he's going to make fun of her for the soda she gets and then shoot her in the face with the water pistol he smuggled in. Yeah, okay, I, I see what you mean about the about not liking these kids, but uh, they're all we're left with in this movie.
1: Yeah, Emily says something about her dad, and then Tyler's like, Dad's not a fireman anymore. He's too scared to be a fireman. Tyler Turbo sucks. Now, Carrie, have you been to any Philadelphia sporting events?
2: Have I been to any Philadelphia? I'm from Philly. Of course I've been to a Philadelphia sporting event. You're not allowed to stay in the city if you have it. <laughs> they do things to the max when it it involves Philadelphia and sports.
1: I don't know how they do things in Pittsburgh, PA, but Carrie, do you think it would be okay to leave two young children by themselves in game seven of a Stanley Cup if it was in Philadelphia?
2: Um, I think in the 90s, it probably would be okay. (laughs) Not anymore.
1: I'm not saying they're going to get like beaten up or something like that, but I mean, (laughs) my guess is these kids will probably hear every profanity in the book and be uh, soaked in beer within about 10 minutes of sitting down.
0: So Max, since we do have a a Philadelphia sports fan on the show, I do want to ask just a quick questionnaire, uh, just to see, just to test your Philadelphia fandom. Have you ever thrown batteries at an opposing player?
2: I have not.
0: Have you ever booed Santa Claus?
2: I have not, but I've booed other players.
0: <laughs> have you ever heated up a penny and thrown it at an opposing player? No. I don't know if you're a Philadelphia sports fan.
1: Oh, come on. I'm a San Antonio sports fan, and even I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think Eduardo Nahara, Oh, do you think he just tripped and fell on that uh, frying pan full of hot nickels? No, I, I dumped that on him.
0: So Emily's gonna leave the, leave her seat because she she gets soaked with this soda and she's gonna get abducted by the person who has taken over the icy costume. It's a lady named Carla who has decided to kill Joan. And so she takes Emily with her up to the booth, uh, Powers Booth, some might say. And so Powers Booth, Joshua Foss is sort of introducing himself to Emily. Wondering why she didn't get killed already. So he's, he's quizzing the little girl, you know, who are you with? You know, oh, your daddy's a hero. Who is he? And she's not giving up the information. So so, what does he do to threaten to threaten this little girl, to, to make her realize that he's evil?
1: Oh, well, he says, uh, what if I filled your little mouth with spiders? <laughs> Which, whoa, we are taking things up a notch. This is somebody who's
0: clearly dealt with children because like a smart kid would wonder where are the spiders? But any other kid is like, oh, no, I don't want spiders in my mouth. So, yeah, that's a very effective thing to say to a child. I'm going to use it next time.
1: But Jean-Claude Van Dam, who has been gone for like 20 fucking minutes, finally comes back to visit his kids. And he's like, where's Emily? And the Tyler's like, oh, no, she went to the bathroom. So John claude Van Dam, he like sees the uh, the evil mascot hauling away his little girl. And he he's not able to get there in time before the elevator uh, takes her up to where she gets harassed by Powers Booth. But when the elevator comes back down, the evil I see is in there. And oh, my goodness, we've waited so long. It's our very first action set piece, which we'll call Mascot Fight. And it is an amazing first action sequence because it's Jean-Claude Van Damme versus someone in a penguin costume. Thank you very much, Action Gods, for, and Carrie Lindo for giving this to us.
2: I like that, that it's like he fights a woman, but they get around it by putting him putting her in a costume.
0: So about that do you have a preference either way? this is this is a question for the room would you are you happy with him fighting a mascot and not landing any solid blows or do you kind of wish that was a woman that he was fighting?
2: I'm glad she has a, ma- a costume on I think if he was physically assaulting a woman, it would be disturbing.
0: I'd like to think that they were sort of evenly matched. I mean, In a penguin costume, that's the thing I was wondering, because she's wearing this penguin costume. Well, first of all, you know, she's trying to pretend that she's Joan. She's trying to pretend that she's actually icy. Mm -hmm. That's for the movie's sake. If this was really a a terrorist plot, he would have been shot right away. There's about a dozen terrorists in this movie who have an opportunity to shoot on sight with Darren, and they do not take it. And if you point it out, it makes this movie mildly infuriating. So I'm going to try not to point it out. But like, this Pittsburgh penguin is holding her own in a mascot costume.
1: The, it's a little awkward for the Pittsburgh penguin to pull out the gun. So it's not like as soon as Evil Icy like sees Darren, if Evil Icy reached for the gun, it'd be like pretty obvious. So Icy chooses a moment when Darren is distracted, but Darren, he sees the shadow of the gun and knows instantly it's kill or be killed. But yeah, I Icy, Evil is like landing spin kicks, uh, definitely holding their own. A pretty awesome fight. Again, not to put you on the, the spot as uh, Philadelphia's number one sports fan, but Carrie, if this was Jean-Claude Van Damme versus an evil Gritty and Jean-Claude Van Damme prevailed, do you think there'd be mass walkouts in the theater in Philadelphia?
2: Oh yeah, people would be mad if fanatic or Gritty was attacked. Even if he is on the wrong side, it would be wrong. Also, I think if it was the fanatic, he would have a hot dog gun that he'd be murdering people with. Oh, too true, too true. Because he has one and it's injured people.
0: See, now I've got a punch up where this movie is set in Philadelphia. It's the Flyers playing and Gritty is the Jean-Claude Van Damme. I think if you had a Die Hard in a Blank movie starring either Gritty or the Philly Fanatic, that might rival Barbie for like box office supremacy. That might be the hit of the year.
2: Yeah, it'd be failed. Fireman becomes mascot.
1: And there'd be a moment there where the cops are like, who's this mascot we're talking to? And It's like, it's no ordinary mascot. Grease X Green Beret. But there's a moment here where Darren's fighting off Icy and he sees a big thing of pepper flakes. He sees it, but also Icy sees it. And then Darren reaches for the pepper flakes. And you get a close up on Icy's eyes. Like not the not the stuffed eyes on top of the head, but the human eyes that are in the mouth, and they they're peering out through the mouth, and they go wide, and then sure enough, Darren pours those pepper flakes into Icy's mouth, which hey, that works, but then also into the human eyes, that double works. I fucking loved it. It's my first markout moment.
2: It's so good because there's obvious kitchen fight stuff, the f- you know hot oil stuff like that, but you know didn't see the red pepper flakes coming. <laughs>
0: To the movie's credit, Mac does like movies that explore the studio space, so for them to use the hot oil in the in the fry bin and the deli slicer that's still on cutting roast beef, like, it, it is nice to see them use those pieces of equipment around the room.
1: Jean-Claude Van Am apparently cooked out of his mind while making this movie. Writing the screenplay and, like, writing the words, like, mascot holds Darren's head close to the, the meat slicer, like, ah, that's gotta feel good. But yeah, the kitchen, everything is still on. Even though they were ordered to leave their stations, I guess the kitchen staff got raptured because yeah, there's still fries cooking, and, like they're still soaking in oil. That icy gets the, or maybe that's the other person gets her hand shoved in. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's a it's a great scene no, effect. No, that's icy. Uh, that's icy. They
2: do. They make sure you know it's still. They have the glove come off, and you see the nail polish to be like, this is still a woman. Remember, and then her hand goes in.
1: Yeah, take that icy.
0: I sort of wish that at some point Darren had been like. Time out! Time out! These are fire hazards. We need to turn off all of these, all of this
1: equipment. But when, but when Icy eventually gets like choked by that thing that uh, Steam cleans the dishes, Darren is just like standing there, like deep breathing, catching his breath while looking at Icy's corpse. And I was like, here we go, say a kill line. Let's let's have some funny dialogue here after you just murdered someone. But he doesn't say anything, and so just him staring at the corpse for a while, a little creepy.
0: I have to imagine he was staring long enough to think of a line, couldn't, and then realized, oh, I've been here for four minutes. I I need to walk away now. Nothing came to me.
2: They're like, end cut.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But Mac, we're going to go ahead and start the second period of this thing, because that's what hockey games have. They have periods and not quarters. It's the start of the second period. Darren's going to ask the wrong guy to help him look for Emily. Darren murders his second person in the kitchen hallmark meanwhile makes contact with foss who informs hallmark that no one is getting near this arena and then darren makes contact with hallmark to let him know that the arena is rigged with bombs hallmark tries sending agents in anyway but they either get blown out of the sky or stuffed into zamboni looks like it's up to darren to gear up and save emily himself and at the end of the second period it's hawks and pans tied at two so we we get a bloody darren he's frantically searching for emily he's already he's stacking bodies he's already killed the pittsburgh penguins mascot So he runs out into the rain and who does he run into but evil Jeff Lynn and he's like, hey, I need your help finding my daughter. More bad guys who don't kill Darren right away and this is going to be another fight in the kitchen.
1: Yeah, I would not necessarily call this an action set piece because it's just a a short little fight and Darren does manage to get all the information out of this guy including stuff he did not even ask about. But then I, I guess the other guy thinks it's okay to tell Darren all of this because he thinks he has the upper hand he's about to kill Darren But little does this bad guy know, Darren's about to grab, uh, like, I don't know, pork chop bone or something, break it in half, and cram it in this dude's neck. And when he was reaching for the bone, I was like, what is he going to do with that? And then when when Jean-Claude Van Damme broke it in half, I was like, oh, no, he's not. And then when he stabbed that guy in the neck, I marked out again. It's my second mark out moment.
2: What is happening? Normally, I'd be mad over going back for another kitchen fight, but... They proved me wrong. It was fun. It was it
0: was fun. It was sufficiently, again, we're head scratching moments because I do have a legitimate question about Carla, the mascot. Where did she go? Like her body's not there in the dishwasher, which is what, what he was going to show Psycho Jeff Lynn, He was like, hey, there is a mascot in the kitchen and then the body's not there.
1: That's a good question. Bad guys took it away. Maybe threw it in a, a deleted scene where they throw in a dumpster or something. I don't know. Here's a punch up real quick. You know, I wish that after Jean-Glaude Van Damme had stabbed that dude in the neck that he had said something funny. I mean, you know, he could say whatever he wants, but uh, if it was me, I would have him go, uh, welcome to the bone zone.
2: I wish he just ate some. I wish he had oh, to eat, eat the meat. Like he had is. to clear the bone there and then he stabbed is. him.
0: If you've ever seen somebody like clean a, a like a, a chicken wing bone, it is one of the most alpha moves you'll ever see. So for him to like Flintstones clean a bone and then put it in somebody's neck, I,
1: I would have marked out.
2: Honestly, a wing would have been a good call because they, they, I would believe it was Sharpie.
1: Yeah. Remember this idea for the movie we're all going to write? It's kind of like that scene in Desperado where they're like trying to find, they're, they're both people trying to find a gun that has bullets or like reload their weapons at the same time. Two people like desperately eating some food so they can get down to just a killable bone.
0: But Darren makes quick work of uh, evil Jeff Lynn and then he goes, it's diehard time now. He's going through the arena, like searching for things he could use, you know, tools, anything that can help him. He goes to this executive suite where he finds Joan, the original mascot, hanging dead inside of a closet. But he's also going to find uh, something, some helpful items, a lighter, some lighter fluid. He's also going to find a cell phone, so he's able to get a line out to, to 911.
1: During this phone call, Darren talks to Hallmark, which, you know, why is this guy named Hallmark? It's just so they could do a dumb joke later. I don't even want to repeat it. But the problem is in this scene is that Jean-Claude Van Damme is doing way too much talking. It's like you, you just can't give this much dialogue to him right in a row. It's just not working. But you know who's pissed off by all these like attacks on his people? It's, it's Voss. And so he decides to to exert a little power. And do a, do a display of just how evil he is. And, and how does he do it? So, uh, he's blowing up some cars.
0: He sets up explosions in the parking lot. Again, like, let's start putting the pencil to how much all of this costs. He's got manpower. You know, he had somebody down at the parking lot planting explosives in cars or planting them under cars, whatever. I'm not quite sure that the 1.7 billion or I guess 500 million that he ends up with is going to cover everything. There's just a lot going on for a, for a simple plan.
2: And also the explosions outside. Do you think somebody would have slowly see, you think it would have started some commotion, people like leaving. Even if everyone in the game is watching, somebody might have seen it and said something to somebody and whispered down the lane.
0: That you you cannot discount the white hot hockey action of game seven of the Stanley Cup (laughs) final because no one hears the gunshots in the executive suite. Nobody cares that Jean-Claude's running down seats in the middle of the game. Like there are a lot of things that a normal person would have been like, I should probably get the hell out of here. No one gets the hell out of there.
2: As a Philly fan, I think a bloody man running around wouldn't have fazed most people. It was just like, oh, somebody got in a fight.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. Same shit as always.
1: Well, here's what you're forgetting. That the Pittsburgh Penguins broadcast crew, besides being a great combination of play-by-play and color commentary, they also deliver exposition like nobody's business. In fact, the broadcast crew keeps saying things like, it's so loud in here. You can't hear anything. It's so loud. Cars could be exploding outside in a uh, a false flag terrorist attack and I, we couldn't tell the difference. But
0: Mac and Carrie, there's something I'm kind of hung up on, and it's the reveal of Foss's knowledge of what he's doing. You know, kind of like he knows a little too much about the Secret Service and the CIA and all these government organizations. One of the Secret Service agents at one point kind of grills Foss a little bit. He's like, you know, how do you know so much about about what we're doing here? Did you used to be with the agency? And Foss's response is, I still am. I'm on vacation. And immediately the Secret Service agent who's grilling him is like, you're in the counterfeit section. That's how you know all this stuff. How? Like, am I missing something in the script? I don't know how he make how he connects those dots.
2: It was so quick. I mean, I think it's because he was talking about the money and stuff and the transfers and stuff. But like, it was like so like he wasn't like <clears throat> it was like instant.
1: Yeah, I, I still don't understand it, but it does remind me that like uh, Tom Hanks in the movie Catch Me If You Can. I think he was in the Secret Service counterfeit division as well. It's the idea of like tom hanks like breaking bad (laughs) it's like you know he's holding the vice president hostage nope that's a that's a punch-up for a sequel to that movie
0: what if catch me if you can is a prequel to sudden death
1: oh my goodness i you know what i'm gonna look it up on the it is david it is yay hockey hockey it's weird because catch me if you can was based on a real guy's story wait was this based on a real story too yeah no thank you hockey players in it That's true. Oh, actually, I remember when this happened. The Summer of Insanity, I think is what they called it at Pittsburgh. That's
2: right. It's the true story of... I can't remember the mascot's name now.
1: Uh, Iceberg.
2: It's the true story of Icy's life and brutal murder. It's a true crime.
1: Are you saying you can't remember the mascot's name? Almost as if we had to take a two-week break because of technical (laughs) difficulties and that this part of the podcast was recorded much later than the others. And now we're death really clogged to remember a movie we maybe watched a, almost a month ago.
2: In defense, I'm old and stupid and probably would have forgotten Icy's name, even if we did or did not take a two-week break. <laughs>
0: Even if we'd only just recorded it an hour and a half ago instead of two weeks ago, I'll give you a little more credit than that.
1: Kerry, okay, you obviously don't listen to this podcast because that's part of the show's intro is, uh, hey, you listen to Punch Mountain. Here we are, old and stupid, <laughs> Mac and David.
0: So, you know, going back to more Foss quips, he loves quip and he rehearsed this thing beforehand. So his, his video guy, his tech guy is watching on monitors that the Secret Service, the CIA, whoever's in charge is sending people through the doors, playing clothes, like trying to infiltrate the arena so Foss's response is to look at the monitors and go well let's put them on ice cut two. we go outside the arena the command center is set up and one of the guys runs up to hallmark and he's like hey i think you ought to see this what does he ought to see there's a zamboni that has left the arena it is coming through the parking lot and it stops it empties out its contents and packed in ice are the Secret Service agents, are the plainclothes agents. Like, so I'm thinking about the guy who spotted the Zamboni first of all. And his first thought wasn't, oh no, there's probably dead people in there. We should stop this Zamboni. It was like, run, let me go to Hallmark. There's no time to stop this Zamboni. There's no time to like, save people from the horror of seeing these agents dump out. It is, let me get Hallmark. I think he ought to see this.
1: Well, David, that's classic uh, show don't tell, right? He easily could have been like, oh, Zamboni's coming out here. But instead, he's like, I can just tell you that, but I, I can't because I'm shackled by this cliche.
2: I like to think the bad guys at their bad guy meeting before, before they entered the hockey arena, were just all pitching ideas about how to use that Zamboni. You know it was on their mind. Somebody's idea won. Somebody wanted to put a bomb in it. Somebody, you know.
0: But like, this is the first I'm learning that Zambonis have storage. My my understanding of Zambonis is they smooth the ice. That's it. They don't store ice. Like, I don't know how four bodies end up in this ice smoothing machine.
2: I, that was my first thought. I'm like, that's how Zambonis work. So, but you're right. It could have just been a, a movie plot hole.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but Carrie, you, you're right. And then they definitely had bad guy meetings before this. And, I, you know, you, I think you're right there, like, because part of this, uh, whatever you call this attack, is like striking terror, right? Was it Lord of the Rings when they launched a bunch of heads in a, uh, in a catapult? Or is that, is that Game of Thrones? Is that Ring of Bell? It was definitely a movie with a catapult.
2: that like sounds more in Game of Thrones, I think. It definitely sounds
0: cool. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but Foss is still, you know, he's still like holding court there in the the VP box. We're coming up on the end of the second period. And they're like, "Oh, the the money is not transferring." And so uh, it looks like Foss is going to teach him a lesson. So he gets out. What does he get out, David?
0: So Foss pulls out what looks like a detonator. It looks like a little remote control with a single red light on it. The clock is ticking down to the end of the second period. The money's not transferred. Oh no! What's going to happen? He pushes the button on the detonator. Surprise! It's not a detonator. It is a cigarette lighter that he uses to light his cigarette. I'm wondering how much pre-production went into this plan. Like how many months of planning. How much ordering they had to do where it's like, hey, I really want that special uh, detonator lighter. It's really going to add that add to my punchline at the end of the second period.
2: I like to think he got it at the Secret Service, counterfeit department, white elephant. He was mad about it. And then he was like, oh, this is actually useful.
1: <laughs> God damn it, Carrie. That actually makes sense. I fu- <laughs> I'm
0: <laughs> upset that it makes sense.
1: Because, yeah, it's such a dumb, ridiculous gag it's so a weird amount of effort, but the way it makes sense is, oh, he went to that effort because there's some built in resentment there. Like he brought something nice to the white elephant. Cause he doesn't get it. <laughs> and then He's like, I got this shitty detonator lighter. That's my best powers booth. Sorry. Not very good. Wow. I think you solved it though. Good job. Good job. KL. I like to think this was like a sharper image product. that got like, did not make the cut. Like I right, get this guys, uh, a massage chair. They're like great soul sharper image. We love it. It's like, I right, get this guys. It's a, uh detonator but really it's a lighter They're like what the fuck nobody <laughs> wants this
2: i'm pretty sure our powers booth brought the um keychain that makes sound effects to the white elephant that's just my guess
1: which is not a great gift but he probably thought it was He's like this is quality
2: but drunk people probably fought over it
1: no now he had to take up smoking because he got a lighter now but everyone in that vp box was like oh no uh, He's going to press the button. And then when he just lights the lighter, everyone's like, oh, thank God, I guess. (laughs) But folks, while Foss's plan is proving
0: to be a success, Darren, meanwhile, is able to get a message to the agents outside via the marquee. Meanwhile, Hallmark decides to go in alone and help Darren. But wait, he's in cahoots with Foss. Darren and Hallmark get into a fight, but Hallmark is no match for this French-Canadian. Darren makes contact with Foss and sets the new rules of the game. Darren is going to detonate all of Foss's bombs before Foss can stop him. And the winner gets to keep Emily and also takes a brief detour to play a few minutes with the Penguins, who, by the way, managed to force the goal in the final seconds, and we're going to overtime tied at four.
1: So here we have a classic scene from like action movies where, you know, all, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, so many lives depend upon a single individual who seems to be underqualified. I mean, like you know, this is a diehard clone, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least it has that kind of, you know, diehard premise. And they're like, who's, who's our guy in there? It's like, he's a tough New York cop. And like, what? But in this one, they're like, Who's our guy in there? He's a fire marshal. And then Foss is like, yeah, but he's a head case. And then he's like shitting on Darren because of his record. He's like, yeah, I couldn't hack it as a fireman. It's like, okay, so what should we do? Just radio in tell him to kill himself? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, uh, didn't they try to do that in Olympus is Fallen? Weren't they like, wait, this guy, uh, he can't be the only hope against terrorists. He has a a spotty record. It's like, yeah, just let him do it. Worst case scenario, he dies, right? Who cares?
2: I think their point, though, was he ain't going to follow orders. We're going to tell him to do this. He's rogue. Like, he's going to do what he wants. He's not going to listen to our instructions.
0: That makes sense. Okay, yeah. Because obviously, like, as a firefighter, he didn't listen to the instructions of don't let that girl die. So (laughs) he's not one for following orders. But like, I wish Powers Booth had used that to his advantage where he's like, bring a little girl in and like have her get on the intercom or whatever. Let's break Darren's brain by having him have flashbacks of the little girl. But nothing,
2: nothing like that. He starts doing her voice. <laughs> she's a ghost.
0: <laughs> I mean, we see it later in the movie where Powers Booth has a disguise. Why couldn't he have a second disguise? Like pigtails, a gingham dress. Like, let's see it, Powers.
2: Big oversized lollipop.
1: But Darren is able to, like, hack into like, the LED screen of the marquee. Yeah, and so he sends him a message. And, of course, Foss is getting, they do not like this. And so I think somebody blows, like, does a helicopter blow it up? Or does a guy with a RPG or something...
2: The rocket launch. I think it's the poor man's Benicio Del Toro is the rocket launcher.
0: That's right. Fig Newton does it because uh, he's he's got to earn his paycheck. So he's already done for the night. He might as well like, but good on him for spotting that. He, he spots it himself and blows it up. So he's earning his money. But Hallmark's going to run in there. He sees the message and he's like, oh, fine. I'll go in there alone. If I die, tell my ex-wife her gravy train went off the tracks, which I thought was very sweet that he was thinking of his ex-wife. But he goes in alone. And meanwhile, Darren is trying to like MacGyver some sort of help this is where he gets a fire extinguisher and and a piece of tubing and creates a a dart gun for his wrist but then we also look over and we see a stuffed penguin or a few stuffed penguins and the stuffing is ripped out of them or you know they're split open but like they never reference that at all in the movie we see a stuffed penguin early on at the very beginning when powers booth sets the egg timer and one blows up but, like, I don't know if that was cut from the movie and they forgot to cut all of it, but there's some stuff penguins that need to be accounted for.
2: I think they're implying that's what they smuggled in, the detonators, or the bombs. Oh! Some of them were in Popcorn, wow. and some of them were in the penguins, and some of them were in some... I think there's a third thing they were in.
1: Uh, is there a haunting in Venice or a murder on the Nile or uh a- or Orient Express that needs your services, Carrie Lindo.
2: Yeah, I love the idea, of not knowing that fact. And yeah, it would be confusing. <laughs> they are just mutilated stuffed animals.
0: It currently is confusing to me. This is not, you cracked it, but golly, why?
1: Why movie?
0: You don't need to do that.
1: But just to uh, add a little bit more like, oh, are, are there explosions happening? We can't tell. For some reason, they decide, they being the, the hockey game, the National Hockey League here, they open up the roof of the penguin dome. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> and so everyone can see fireworks after two periods fireworks. What is? What was the thinking there? They're like, look, the penguins might lose this one. We got to do these fireworks, hell or high water. <laughs> so let's do them after two periods. And then, what? you know, if we win, we win. Great. If we lose, hey, we still got fireworks.
0: I think this was back when retractable roofs were still a novelty. This is also fresh off of, uh, if you remember the Evander Holyfield-Riddick Bow fight, where the guy flew in with a fan and disrupted yeah, fan that man. fight. Yeah, fan man. <laughs> uh, so I think this movie was just like, let's open up the roof of the arena. That way anything can happen.
1: So like the fireworks were like countermeasures <laughs> against uh, uh, any fan man?
0: Yeah, that's right. You just uh, you just see a body fall to the ice and then where's the Zamboni?
1: We sure could have used it. Oh, that's true. But back to to JCVD, Darren, for a second. Kudos to him for being calm enough to like MacGyver. Because if I'm like freaking out, I would just be like, oh, what's the closest weapon? But this guy was like, no, take a deep breath, you know, count to five, focus here. Let me look at what's on the table here. Think of some science real quick and then put together a pretty improbable weapon. But it's weird because John claude Van Dam, like for all his many talents, he, he never comes across as like uh, book smart in anything he does. The idea that Darren here is like, I studied this in school or something. Like, I have an engineering degree. Like, it just, just doesn't track.
2: I know. They couldn't. All they needed was one scene in the beginning. He's playing with his son and they're like MacGyvering something or building something or making an air gun or something
0: let's use the beginning of the movie. Since all we ever see of him as a fireman is him trapped under rubble. Like as much as I don't want to like stretch this movie out, you could have at least stretched out the introduction to where we see some of his prowess to where we see some of his skills as like a saver of lives and a quick thinker. Cause we don't even get the sense that he's, you know, I watching him rig up that blow dart gun or whatever, when he's setting up the tubing, setting up the fire extinguisher, he drops the dart into the tube and it just falls. So I was kind of hoping it didn't work. Like I was kind of hoping he would release the fire extinguisher, but the gas would just push right past it and not fire the dart. Like I was hoping there would be some ineptitude there, but no, he's undefeated in his tool making.
2: And I'm still mad. I know, I know we've talked about it, but he's just too swole to be, he looks like a UFC fighter, not like a fire marshal or a firefighter. And I know there could be buff firefighters, but if anyone, you know, prove me wrong, firefighters, send me a picture of you being all muscly, not naked, maybe just like underwear or something.
0: Maybe maybe twelve of you could put together some sort of booklet. Maybe put days of the week yeah. in there.
2: Like let's just
0: send it to us.
2: Yeah, maybe boxer briefs. What a, you know? Maybe you go around the
1: fire station, get every firefighter to sign the month they were on. and no, nothing dirty, but something a little frisky. Just to keep me warm in those cold winter nights. We dare you.
2: Maybe push-ups on each other's back. I don't know. Something like that.
1: We were going to get here. Any movie you chose, we were going to get here. I know this. That's fine. So Darren is about to kill two of these people. But before he does, this movie passes the hour mark. Guys, we're an hour into this movie. And Darren has fought two people. Ah, sudden death. Let's pick up the pace. And it is about to pick up the pace because he does kill these two people, MacGyver style. And then oh, he's about to kill somebody, but it's, it's Hallmark. And then he's like, oh, are you Hallmark? He's like, yeah. And then McCord uh, punches him anyway. And he's like, that's for, I don't even remember.
2: We're putting my kid in danger, I think he says.
1: Thank you. And at this moment, what we don't know is that Hallmark is a traitor, is that he's in league with Foss. If McCord punches me and I'm Hallmark, I'm like, oh, cover's blown. Time to waste this dude. So then he's like, I'm going to go, I don't know, scout around or something. But what does does Hallmark do? He goes straight to Foss.
2: Did you guys see the twist coming? I, being old and dumb, did not.
0: I did not either. It seemed really unnecessary too. Like, especially, you know, we've talked about this already where, I think we've talked about this already. It's been an hour. But like, Jean-Claude Darren could have really used an Al Pal from Die Hard, or he could have used an Argyle from Die Hard, you know, someone on the outside to sort of ground him, you know, keep him sane, that sort of thing. So we think that's going to be Hallmark. So for Hallmark to A, come into the arena and B, be the traitor, like, I was like, okay, movie, you better be, you you better be better than you think if you're going to be, if you're going to pull this off.
2: But I'm glad they did something different. I think it was a good bait and switch.
1: I'm going to go on record and say that uh, it's not that we're dumb for not noticing that this twist is dumb. (laughs) However, Hallmark is bad. And he's like, guess what? I'm a mid-level boss. It's a mid-level boss reveal. And he gets into a fight with McCord. And guess who wins McCord? But not before um, like burning Hallmark's face.
0: And this is more telegraphing from the movie. Because earlier, a few moments ago, Darren's sneaking around. He goes to the executive offices. He's looking for stuff. To maybe use as a as a tool as a weapon, so he opens up a drawer and thank goodness, oh my gosh, there's a lighter and lighter fluid. So he takes the his son's squirt gun that he that he confiscated, fills it up with lighter fluid, and pulls it out. And uh, Hallmark's like, "What are you gonna do? Squirt me?" And sure enough, the guy with the gun. Let's Darren squirt him with lighter fluid and then light him on fire, and then we get a shot of Hallmark's melty swamp thing face, and I laughed out loud.
2: Yes, in total swamp thing,
0: like in RoboCop, like when when he gets the the toxic goo on him and it's just a mutant now. Like you just got burned on your face you could tell like the the movie had a budget that it was coming under and they're like all right we got to spend some of this let's let's melt his face up
2: i was sad that he died i like wish there was like a you know a second spinoff where he's just like the the swamp thing that lives in the the penguins arena for all time maybe a little fan of the birth thing yeah yes
1: mm-hmm. He was revealed as a traitor and then killed in real quick succession. It was like, oh my God, and he's gone. (laughs) But there
2: was that great scene of him trying to get the son to go with him. And the son is like, no, I'm not going with you strange man in a suit.
0: This was one of my favorite scenes, but also one of the most sort of surprisingly uncomfortable scenes because it's the son doing what he's told. Darren told him. Even if the building is falling down around you, you do not move from that seat. So Hallmark thinks he's slick, and he's like, "Hey, little boy, uh, your dad and and your sister are up there in that booth. Why don't you come with me?" And and the boy's like, "No."
2: I don't know what I would have done as a kid if I would have went with. Them oh, or not.
1: I absolutely would have gone with the adults. They would have been like, "Mac, don't go anywhere." I'm like, "You got it." And then adults are like, "Uh, hey, little boy, I don't know your name, but your dad is somewhere." And I'd be like, "Oh my goodness, let's go right away."
2: I would have went, but I would have been terrified of the stranger.
0: But Hallmark fails. He goes back to Darren. They get into that fight. He gets his face melted. And Darren ends up with Hallmark's comms. He ends up with his uh, with his phone. So Foss gets a phone call and he thinks it's Hallmark. He's like, is he-, is he dead yet? So Darren, I don't know why, decides to pretend he's someone else entirely. Decides to pretend he's a Secret Service agent. And do either of you happen to remember the name that he used for, for being a Secret Service agent? Thomas? Secret Service agent Tom Castillo. So this French Canadian is like, it is me, secret service agent, Tom Castillo. And so like, (laughs) already Paris Booth knows uh, knows this is no good. But like, as an audience member, I am laughing out loud, like of all the names to pick. I wish he had seen that name earlier in the day, like on somebody's name tag or saw in the newspaper, but just like that he's walking around with Tom Castillo cocked and loaded (laughs) as his alias. That's something else.
1: That's pretty great, honestly. Shades of, um, what was the the name that pro football player and, and, and dogfight enthusiast Michael Vick gave at a clinic? Uh,
0: I believe that's Ron Mexico.
1: Ron Mexico. There you go. (laughs) Pretty good name.
0: But Darren's going to have a conversation over the phone with Foss. This is going to be my first markout moment because it's essentially Darren doing his best to turn the tables on Foss. This is where he says, all right, we're playing a new game now. The name of the game is I'm going to try to detonate your bombs and you're going to try to catch me. And if you catch me, you win. If I detonate the bombs, I win. So, like the forcefulness that Jean Claude has in this moment, that he finally has some severance of leverage, that he finally has Foss feeling like he's on the ropes. I really enjoyed this. This was my first markout moment.
1: It was definitely like a little bit of momentum. It's like, all right, here we go. Now we've like set up some action in the movie. We kind of like the action has like a game to it, if you will. It's uh, not enough that we're fighting next to hockey. But speaking of the hockey here, I, I think at this point, I believe the Penguins are like kind of staging a comeback and more crazy stuff from the announcer. Maybe we can hear a little bit of it. We're in the third period of this dramatic game. The Penguins on the rush, and Taylor brings it in. Here he goes in front of the Chicago net. Francis, there he puts it in! One, Francis! Oh, by and Drake, and get his dog, one, two. None of that makes any sense to me. Let me ask you this. David and Kerry, at any point while watching this movie, Were y'all invested at all in the outcome of the hockey game?
2: I never, I just, I don't know if it's just from being forced to watch too much sports as a child or something, where immediately the hockey came on, my brain like forgot it.
0: I'm ashamed to admit I was heavily invested in this because I I lost 20 grand on this movie. I thought- Oh, I thought the no. Blackhawks were going to pull it out. I don't know why. I don't know what was going on in my head. I've seen this movie before, but I I, I I love the juice, man. I love the action.
1: I'll tell you how invested in hockey I am. At the beginning of the movie, they're like, it's Penn versus Hawks. I'm like, Hawks, that's a fake team. <laughs> they're like, the Chicago Blackhawks. I was like, all right, that's an actual team. Yeah, my bad. <laughs>
0: but speaking of this game, so this is the part of the movie where they where the movie sort of decides to focus on it because, you know, the clock's ticking down. The penguins are down by, by a goal. and so darren for some goddamn reason decides the best plan of action for me for this situation for the diffusing of the bombs is to dress up like a goalie and go out onto the ice
1: well david two of foss's men were in pursuit and so he goes into the locker room to hide and he puts it on as a disguise now before we get into the rest of it real quick what is his plan like was his plan was like i will don uh, a goalie's outfit I will go sit on the bench for a while, pretend to be the goalie. And then once things cool off, I'll go get the bombs. Is that was that that had to be his plan, right?
2: Yeah, his plan was, I'm going to waste a lot of time. (laughs) Yes. It's insane. The amount of time he took to put on on and off that hockey gear, Must he could have gotten like three bombs. Have you ever put on ice skates? It takes forever. And taking them off?
0: Oh, I'll do you one better. Have you ever stripped a goalie outfit off of a goalie who's laying on a table because they have like a 104 degree temperature? That alone, like the undoing of somebody else's pants, wriggling them off of their hips and stuff like that, easily taking up the rest of the game. All joking aside, I have no fucking clue what this was about.
2: It was his best idea for disguise, but maybe I'll buy it. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he is stupid. Maybe he doesn't have a <laughs> great plan. Maybe this makes sense for his character. I'll pretend to be the goalie.
1: Yeah, something. But look, at some point around this part of the movie, it's not a flashback, but I just recalled that part of Naked Gun, the movie where Frank Drebin, played by uh, Leslie Nielsen, he hid or he disguised himself as an umpire and ended up having to like be an umpire in the baseball game. I and I don't know why I had that thought. And then God damn it! like three minutes after I had that thought, here comes Jean-Claude Van Damme skating out in the goalie's uniform. And then sure enough, they're like, hey, what are you doing? Get in the game. And I just, I think I said out loud like, oh no. But then the more he was out there, something changed in me, y'all. I was like, wait, hold on. This is fucking awesome. Like this, you have to do it. You have to. Like the dumber parts of this movie... The mascot fight and then this scene this is what makes this movie the fact that he has to play hockey honestly how could you not do that it just it, like it seems so stupid but the more i thought about it i was like no this seems so obvious like if you're setting up a movie that takes place in a hockey game at some point jean claude van Damme has to play fucking hockey it just it had to happen and at some moment we know he does mention he used to play goalie for yeah. some i don't know french canadian like semi-pro team he does make an amazing stop y'all that was another mark out for me (laughs) (laughs) he fucking made that save i was like oh hell yeah
0: (laughs) I, i don't say this about a lot of scenes in any of these action movies that we've done we're already 42 episodes into the mountain this felt insulting like, where, because like if there had been you know if there had been something some kind of connective tissue where it's like oh if i'm on the ice i could get a better vantage point of like maybe there's one stuck to the seats or one stuck against the boards or something like that or maybe there's one stuck to the to the net that i've got to take care of this was just to get away from the villain's in a movie where the, the clock is ticking, like he literally wasted minutes, precious minutes out on the ice doing a sick glove save. Don't get me wrong. He saved that game. <laughs> <laughs> man, oh, man.
2: I thought he was going to start a fight like right away and therefore move on and find some bombs. But he's, he's like, let me see what I can do here. <laughs> Maybe I could tie up this man. <laughs>
0: Carrie Poirot cracking the case on this one because I think there's something there where, like, because he does eventually start a fight and, yeah. you know, that gets him sent to the penalty box. But if he had started the fight as soon as he got on the ice, then my novice hockey brain is thinking, oh, that's a stoppage of time. So he's buying himself and he's buying the game some time. But no, 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 no. He had to go get his reps in uh, as the goalie for the Penguins. This movie. Ay, ay, ay.
2: I was just going to say they end it with that stupid, I love you thing, but it's to the son. It was the daughter's thing. She's, they don't cut to her watching from above. They don't, they cut to the son.
1: Well, first of all, if you get him, Jean-Claude Van Damme in a goalie's outfit and you don't have him actually play a game, that that's Poochie driving past the fireworks factory. That is really unsatisfying. But then, yeah, you're right. So at the beginning, the little boy witnesses uh, his dad learning how to sign, I love you. And so- Uh, Darren still dressed in a goalie uniform locates his son up there in the crowd and does the sign for I love you American Sign Language I guess up to uh, the son which at that point uh, I mean I don't know if I was that kid I'd be like what the fuck the goalie loves me that'd just blow his mind but he goes to the locker room Darren does and the bad guys follow him in there and oh my goodness it's time for another action set piece we'll call locker room shootout it's kind of an okay sequence.
2: It could have been way better. Why didn't they have that other hockey player throw some punches, you know? Because they were kind of enemies in the beginning. Like, if he would have came and they gotten just like a... I just think they he should have fought with that hockey player. I think that would have been fun.
1: Yeah, like Darren's about to get it. And then the other hockey player comes and like decks one of the bad guys. And he's like, not bad, Marshall or something. And he's like, oh, merci beaucoup. But uh, at some point, Darren takes a... They have like a heavy bag in there, like a, like a punching bag. Darren, like, uses his punching bag and, like, hits one of the bad guys with it. And if we could get audio here of the, the punching bag hitting a, a bad guy. In reality, that would just sound, that would make, like, no noise or whatever. But apparently this, uh, this punching bag really just uh, clocked this dude. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I will say this, though. I did appreciate that when it came down to this sequence right here, this this fight, the movie decided to bring the biggest guys they could find because, you know, there's this big island dude and then there's this just corn-fed guy because, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme isn't a huge guy. Like, he's ripped, he's muscular, but he's also like 5'8", 5'9", something like that. I think to dwarf Jean-Claude Van Damme in that moment did the movie a service because you did actually kind of worry for him in that moment. He's not fighting a mascot. He's not fighting some event staff guy. So I thought that was well done.
1: But the game is about to end. And Foss has still not gotten his money. So his finger is like hovering above the uh, detonator button. He's about to blow everything straight to hell. But Luke Robitaille, with a shot of his career, ties up the game. Game's not over. Foss, being a sportsman, uh, respects that for some reason. And it looks like this game is going into, uh uh-oh, it's the title of the movie, Sudden Death Overtime.
2: That's my favorite. That's my Mark out moment is, uh... (laughs) Van Damme against the glass, just, like, watching. I'm like, go find the (laughs) bombs. But he's like, I gotta catch the end of this game.
0: But also, like, how does this change anything for Foss? Like you like you said, it's like, it's, he's not a sportsman. He's not, you know, playing a gentleman's game where it's like, first goal wins. I'm going to wait until the next goal gets scored. Like,
2: just blow the whole thing up, man. And if it was anyone but Powers Booth, I might be like, because the whole thing, the fact that he was, like, playing this game with him, the fact that, like, Van Dan just gave it to him, he's like, okay, I'll play this game. That's the opposite of what Powers Booth uh, persona is, <laughs> but... I believed it because I'm like, oh yeah, he just seems crazy and maniacal.
0: He does seem like the kind of villain who would let Hubris get the better of him. We're like, I've got this well in hand. Why not play with Darren a little bit? Why not have a little fun before I blow these people to kingdom come? So I, you're right. You're absolutely right. Powers Booth sells some of the dumber parts of this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, the fact that unlike his character in Deadwood, he does not have a twirlable mustache Uh, he really could have used it because this is definitely like a villain like sudden death overtime you say let's see how this plays out (laughs) (laughs) but as we
0: begin sudden death Darren has a plan to save Emily zipline his way from the top of the arena down to the owner's box and blast his way in with a baking soda bomb the arena descends into chaos but Tyler stays true to his word and doesn't leave his seat Darren saves the vice president but Foss manages to kidnap Emily again and take her hostage as he meets his helicopter getaway Foss manages to narrowly escape Darren, but Darren shoots Foss's helicopter pilot and Foss's getaway comes crashing down on the ice. Hopefully Darren has overcome his fear of people dying and he can enjoy being a hero once again.
1: This has different segments, but it kind of feels like to me like all one giant action set piece. I am kind of like two. There's like roof and then there's like post roof, but we'll refer to it all as not so sudden death is what we'll call
0: <laughs> these two parts wow.
1: of this uh, set piece. I don't necessarily know why McCord is on the roof, but there is a fight on the roof. David, what'd you think about this fight?
0: This was probably my favorite fight of the movie, my favorite action set piece of the movie. This is thrilling. I don't know why there's a guy up there already keeping lookout.
2: I think he had the, it was Rocket Launcher Guy. I think he was like gonna, or no, it was somebody else.
1: It was somebody else. Rocket Launcher Guy flies the helicopter at the end. Oh, does he? And
2: he's on a different roof. He's in a different roof earlier.
0: Yeah, again, this heist has to be costing Foss, at least in Manpower alone. He, he can afford to put somebody on the roof and just wait. I don't get it.
2: He's like me. I wouldn't crunch the numbers. And then I later.
0: <laughs> just <laughs> spend it like the plane's going down.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I really liked this fight. I thought there was, you know, there was sufficient stakes, you know, because we do have the roof open to, you know, I, the, that's what the fireworks were doing. They were setting up the fight later. But this is all very thrilling to me. I, I enjoyed it. What do you all think?
1: Yeah, I liked it. And there was, you know, some, some tension there that was kind of odd. Well, first of all, I think he knocks one guy off the roof and the guy goes like sliding down the <laughs> dome part of it. And the guy is like screaming like, no, honestly, that looked like a blast. Like just, it just seemed like a lot of fun to be sliding down. It would have been like, ah, oh, shit, I'm going to get fired. But we, <laughs> looking how that place was set up, it's not like a, you know, a sheer drop off. Like he doesn't go sliding off the roof like immediately to his death. I think he just lands on like a catwalk or something. Not even a catwalk, just like a, you know, a walkway. But then there's another dude, he's fighting and you're like, oh no, is McCord going to fall to the ice? Is the bad guy going to fall to the ice? And part of the tension here for me is not so much like life or death, but the tension that the game will be interrupted. Like, it's like, oh no, we're in sudden death. We're so close to finishing. Did anyone else feel that way? Because in retrospect, that's kind of bizarre that I felt that way. I feel.
0: In retrospect, that's a little stupid. No offense to you, but in terms of like the movie. No, please. Because like, if that is true, if the movie does want you to worry that the game will end abruptly, I think it also wants us to connect Foss's Foss's ticking clock with the end of this game. So like, uh uh-oh, if that guy breaks the scoreboard or if that guy falls on the ice, who knows what Foss is going to do then? But like, we're already playing on borrowed time. None of this really matters
1: anymore. I'm right there with you. It should have involved somehow a hockey puck bouncing off the bad guy's head. But the bad guy falls in the Jumbotron. It explodes. McCord zip lines his way into the VIP box. This is the moment when everyone like looks up and they're like, what's going on? Hockey game over. McCord makes it to the VIP box or the VP box where the VP is, vice president. And he saves the vice president, but who gives a shit? The movie doesn't even really like let that be a moment. It's just kind of like, yeah, good work, son. And then like they move on.
0: Because I mean, he, he happens to save the vice president. He's really there to save his daughter. He's really there to rescue Emily. So like- Rescue Emily. Like, I almost wish he had sort of pushed the VP aside to hug his daughter. Like, oh, the, the country owes you a debt. Get out of the way, old man. I'm here for Emily. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right before he jumped in, somebody jumps on top of Emily. And I thought maybe, maybe I was like, is that the vice president saving her? But they don't, you can't really tell. And they never call. Because so I'm like, oh, that would have been a cool thing. And it's just an indiscriminate guy.
0: There's not even action waiting for Darren when he jumps in there. Like... He doesn't have to take out any goons. Apparently this baking soda bomb does the trick, blows a perfect hole into the roof of the VIP box where he's able to like, they almost like stop motion, Darren, into the VIP box. Like it's, it's ridiculous.
1: Maybe we were too harsh on Olympus has fallen. The fact that in that similar situation, they put pressure on like, oh, you got to rescue the president before he gives up the Cerebus codes. Whereas like, what you gotta rescue the vice president before what? They shoot him? I don't even give a shit about this vice president. He's also no offense, the vice president will be fine.
2: It would have been great if he just like grabbed a gun at the end and shot one of the bad guys, something. I mean, who doesn't love yeah. somebody who has been affected by marketing and is watching Justified? Arlo Gibbons, he's great, great actor.
1: You know, that would have been awesome too if they set it up they had a similar background as like the fire marshal. Like, oh, is the uh is the vice president going to be able to fight off those guys? And Hallmark's like, he's a head case. <laughs> Just like the same way. <laughs> you see his policies. He's nuts. But I don't think Darren got all the detonators because uh, the one something explodes. And now the stadium is full of stadium water. Gross.
2: Which is a bad. I was like, they put these detonators in places that weren't dangerous at all.
0: Well, I mean, but that's sufficient chaos because you've got people like getting knocked over by the water. So like, you know, Foss is just desperate. He's flipping all the switches like, all right, let's see if you let's see if you got them all. And so I think Darren ends up getting nine out of 10, but the one he doesn't get blows up the waterworks. And so here comes this water pouring out of this supply closet and knocks people over.
2: And it was I also appreciate because that stadium used to have the ramps. And I was like, oh, it'd be so fun to just slip and slide down those ramps.
1: But the stadium is in chaos. Darren now has Emily and he's able to go find his son.
0: I got to be honest with you. This is going to be my second markout moment because as much as maybe the general population doesn't like Tyler, doesn't like the son, I really appreciated that he didn't move. I remember when I first watched this movie, I'm so used to like the trope of the kid getting into trouble, you know, oh, I won't do what I'm told and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll make things worse. So for him to stay in his seat while the arena is falling down around him, there's such fun chaos going on with, with everybody trying to leave the arena, but he did not move. This will be my second markout
1: moment. Wait, so what exactly is the moment?
0: When he's proud, it was like, I didn't move, dad, I didn't move. And like, it got me. It got me right there.
1: Now, I'm stunned because it, if this had all taken place and then Darren walks up and he's like, Tyler, I, I would expect the son to immediately be like, dad, were you the goalie? Like right <laughs> yeah. off the bat, like, dad, holy shit, were you the fucking goalie? Just like I, that would be the first thing out of my, I would just be yelling to the empty arena. Hey, dad, I'm up here. Were you the goalie? <laughs> <laughs> but while Foss was holding Emily hostage, she has this like stamp, like kind of a rubber ink stamp that she's like stamping everyone with. And she stamps Foss's hand. And as they're leaving the arena, Emily notices the stamp on a man's hand. And that man is not dressed like Foss. Foss is in disguise. And here we go, y'all we get an amazing wig reveal shot of Foss' <laughs> disguise. How would you describe his disguise?
0: I would describe it as a markout moment for me. This was incredible. It was like, like a 70s heavy.
2: He was disguised in 70s Powers Booth.
0: <laughs> That's, there you go. Like big bushy mustache, like kind of unkempt, side-parted hair. Uh, he puts on like a, a windbreaker. Uh, the complete opposite of this suave debonair tuxedo wearing gentleman now he looks like pittsburgh trash i marked out i thought it was so <laughs> fucking funny
1: it is so funny it's like you went to a disguise shop and he goes give me a young bella caroli the <laughs> 90s gymnastics coach for the usa team but what it works out to is he to me? He looks like Rip Taylor
2: as like a as a deadbeat dad, <laughs> like twice yeah. his kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for
1: dad, you spend so much time with those gymnasts. He's like, but I'm I'm your real son. He's like, sorry, I cannot. But yeah, he looked like Rip Taylor to me. But it was ridiculous. I love it.
2: He also got rid of his his expensive watch, and I'm like, just put it in your pocket. You don't need to get rid of it forever. Just take it off your wrist.
0: Yeah, is is he worried that someone's gonna spy, Hey, that dirt bag has got a fifteen thousand dollar watch. But like this whole thing, you know, because Emily sort of isn't being paid attention to by Darren. Darren is talking to Agent Sacchio, uh, some other Secret Service agent. By the way, Darren is is too trusting of this Secret Service agent is like, all right, you're safe now. I, you know, we've got everything under control. You're safe with me. Like, if it's me, if I'm Darren, I'm not trusting anybody. And I'm certainly, certainly not letting my daughter out of my sight. But sure enough, she goes to like follow Powers Booth and then Powers Booth just snatches her up and runs away with her.
1: Yeah, so Foss takes her up to, like, uh, the roof or on top of the Jumbotron or somewhere up there. No, it, it's it's close to the roof because a helicopter, that's his, like, getaway thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so he's like, he's going to get on this helicopter. And, of course, when he's up there, but it looks like the helicopter is going to get away, but not if our hero Darren has anything to say about it.
0: No, Darren shows up. He, you know, he follows them to the roof where Foss is going to rendezvous with the helicopter. I've been saying this throughout the movie. Just shoot Darren. Like, I don't know why Foss doesn't take the opportunity to just shoot him, but Foss at least has a good excuse. He's like, No, I want you to feel the pain of, of watching your daughter die. And so Foss is getting ready to shoot Emily, but then the helicopter's like, No, we gotta go. And the ladder that Foss is holding onto starts to kind of jerk him away, and they're off. You know, Foss is, no time to kill Emily. I've gotta go. The helicopter's taking off, Foss is hanging onto the ladder. So in a last ditch effort, Darren decides. Well, I'm not going to shoot Foss. I'll shoot the helicopter and hope to hit the pilot. And golly, he's got the skills of a Luke Robitaille because he hits that
1: (laughs) that helicopter (laughs) with no problem. And you think that this helicopter on its way down would just be like flying all over the place, crashing into everything? No, like a an Olympic swimmer, just a pure, still, like perfectly aligned dive down. The helicopter crashes, Uh, but also it is the longest. Slowest helicopter crash you've ever seen. And it was so long that I thought it was very funny. <laughs> I marked out again. Another out moment for me.
2: It was, it was, uh, there was some great power spoof mugging in that crashing helicopter.
1: He couldn't believe it. He, like, couldn't believe that his crazy plan had somehow unraveled.
0: I, I also, I agree the helicopter crash was too slow. I couldn't quite mark out in that exact moment. But there's a shot when the helicopter crashes where we see the reflection of the explosion in Emily's glasses. And that was such an oddly artistic touch. I (laughs) marked out at that. I was like, you do not belong in this movie. And you certainly don't belong at the end of this movie.
1: I also noticed that reflection in the glasses, which I took that to mean like, this girl is really absorbing this moment. Question for the panel. Is she a Dexter now? Like, is that little girl now a serial killer herself? Like in today, did she grow up uh, to love murder?
0: I think so. I think she got a taste for it. Now she wants more. I, I I would liken this to Mr. Brooks. I think she's got the murder gene in her.
2: I have a question for the panel. You think that son went back to his seat? Where is he, you know?
0: Where
1: is the son?
2: I think he went back to that seat. He's like, I want to make dad proud. I better go sit real good.
1: I hope so, because he witnessed a, a sick helicopter crash. But the bad guys are dead, I guess, finally in everyone's safe, question mark? So they leave the arena and they're being, like, you know, tended to by ambulances and stuff. It looks like we've won the day. Uh, but real quick, the other goalie who got sick, the, the one who, whose uniform Darren wore, I think it was Tolliver, right? Played by really hockey player Jay Caulfield. Did he die? Because last time we saw him, he was, like, lying down in, like, the trainer's table with, like, an oxygen mask when this place exploded, or is that guy dead?
0: I, I'm going to answer that question with a question, if that's all right. Did the penguins win the game? Because I wish there was like an end credit scene, uh, you know, all the credits roll. And then like Tolliver wakes up. He still has the fever. He's been stripped to his underwear. And like he takes the oxygen mask off. He's like, hey, all right, party. And here come the penguins hoisting the cup. And that's how we end the movie.
2: I say we end the movie, they crash. Foss lives. Tolliver punches him.
1: Oh, well, quick question, David. Was there a World Series game that was interrupted by an earthquake or like preempted by an earthquake?
0: It was interrupted. It was the 89 World Series between the Giants and the A's, the the Battle of the Bay. I think it was before the game started. They were just like, we're not playing this game today.
1: It does beg the question, how does this game get remembered? Because I remember there was a uh, Stanley Cup Finals game. That took place at the same time as an NBA Finals game, which took place at the same time as O.J. Simpson escaping in that white Ford Bronco and how those it's like, you know, linked to that. But of course, O.J. didn't like drive it through Madison Square Garden. So, I mean, uh, I definitely think they played the sudden death period later, like after a Country Had a Time to Heal. And I got to believe the pins won and it really just like, you know, healed us as a nation. I mean, the other outcome is maybe they just called it in a tie and we all won, but I don't think that's how they did uh, I hope not. So we're
0: just still waiting for that money to get transferred?
1: No. What? I'm talking about... How-
0: no, I know. But like Foss gave them till the end of the game. So like we're 20 years on now, 30 years on, and we're still waiting for that money to finish getting
1: transferred. I mean, who's we at this scenario? Are you in league with Foss? Probably. He paid a lot of people. A lot
2: of double agents even on this podcast.
1: But back to the movie real quick. Everyone's being loaded in the ambulances and Emily, the little girl super proud of her papa, tell somebody, my daddy's a fireman, which again, he, Darren did not need to get his old job back to have some redemption arc for him. Uh, it does not matter.
2: And it would have been cuter if she said fire marshal, like she's proud of him as a fire marshal, but no. Oh, damn
1: it, Carrie. Another perfect
2: ending.
0: And if he's like helping people out of the arena, if he's like ushering people's like, you know, don't run. Don't step on each other. Yes. Like he's, he finally owns his fire marshal duties.
2: Yeah. If he was like, there's exits over here and over here. It's safer. Yeah. He should have he fire marshaled it up at the end.
1: That would have been amazing. That would have been great. But what it is, is the end of sudden death. All right. How many mark-out moments did you have, David? How many moms? I had four mark-out moments. How about y'all?
2: I wasn't very concise about keeping track of my mark moments, and I'm sorry. I was having too much fun watching it, and I was having a hard time.
1: Okay, based on what you just said, you had at least two. You had one, I don't remember what it was earlier, but I remember noting it. And the second one at the um, the costume or the wig reveal.
2: I also, I like the, this, I might tell when he was up against the glass, because I think I remember that from the preview too. And it was just kind of comical when he was up against the glass. So I'll
1: put you down for one and a half to two. I had four, uh, a very solid four in a very shaky movie.
2: Question, is this someone's favorite movie? Pittsburgher, Yeah, someone's dad. Yeah. Someone's stepdad. They gotta
0: be. Someone's stepdad, 100%. Yes, of course.
2: From Pittsburgh. Has to be from Pittsburgh.
1: If this movie take place in a San Antonio Spurs game, you're goddamn right this would be my favorite movie. Uh, so yes, it absolutely is. Do
2: you think the Spurs would ever let, like they like blew up that scoreboard. Like this is before CGI. It's, I'm glad it was before CGI because it looked so much better. But it, I feel like there's no way Philadelphia would have let them blow up things. In some...
1: but what if the principal shareholder of the Flyers had a movie producer wife who was like, I have a great idea. It's like, all right, honey, we'll do it. Like, <laughs> it, the fact that this movie got made is baffling, but it it kind of, once you factor in their movie producers, it's just like, yeah, it, it seems like a weird vanity project. But uh, yeah, it uh, it still is a big question mark why the NHL was like, hey, uh, listen to us, uh, Pittsburgh um, Penguins owner, uh, ownership group. No, do not fucking make this movie. No.
0: I wouldn't doubt it if it's an insurance write-off. If, like, the Penguins' ownership wanted a new scoreboard anyway, and they're like, well, we've got a perfectly good one. How are we going to take that down? Like, how are we going to justify taking that one down? Light bulb, make a movie, replace Uh, the scoreboard.
2: We will risk accidentally (laughs) setting the whole entire arena in fire to get this new scoreboard.
1: Not a bad move. All right, time for some punch-ups. We're the ultimate script doctors. Everybody knows that. David, how would you fix this movie? How would you have punched it up?
0: I've only got one. I'm not quite sure you can fix this movie. I think this movie is what it is. But for me, I really could have used a different backstory for Darren. I'm not quite sure the firefighter angle works, you know, because he's like a failed fire. I'm not even a failed. He had a bad day and somebody died on his watch. That's not enough to justify or to explain away his physique and his prowess. Like, I feel like he should have been something else. If it's the mid 90s and he's ziplining down a rope to get to the VIP booth, I'm thinking what if he's a former American gladiator? What if he knows how to like Fair What if he knows how to break through and conquer? What if he knows how to do all of those events and he uses them to his advantage? It's gimmicky for the 90s. It's perfect for Jean-Claude Van Damme. I would have loved the movie. That's going to be my only punch up.
2: I agree with David. I do think. I, I think, though, it's just like he's like getting swole to deal with his PTSD because the 90s. and that So he's like, his anxiety. So that's, that's my.
0: Just like Cape Fear style, just doing like arm dips.
1: Uh, yeah, I get that.
2: Should have saved her. I should have saved her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my only remaining punch up, Fawcett's disguise. If you're going to have him look like Rip Taylor, I want to hear him sound like Rip Taylor. Like, just go full on. Like Rip Taylor impression, or if not, that some other voice. Like all of a sudden he's like a Benoit Blanc, like, you know, southern dripping with molasses kind of voice. Like, oh honey, I couldn't be the bad guy. I was too busy eating a cob salad or something like that.
2: <laughs> I want him to talk like a Yinzer. He should have been like, Where's the sweeper? I gotta put on my tennis sneakers, tennis shoes. <laughs> what else do they say? That's all I remember. Sweeper. The vacuum is sweeper. That's <laughs>
1: My last remaining punch-up is actually for the audience. Apparently, the movie Sudden Death, there was a novelization of it, and that novelization was turned into an audiobook read by Powers Booth. What? No. Uh, my punch-up is for the audience, and that is, find me this audiobook.
2: <laughs>
1: Please find it for me. I def- I desperately want to hear. First of all, I, just want, I would read the novelization, but the fact that Powers Booth, God, I need it. I need it, y'all. Please track it down.
0: I am on eBay right now. I am looking for it. No, no good.
1: All right, please join us here in the uh, Punch Man video store. This is an all-action movie video store. And so each uh, shelf represents a different subsection of action. We got four copies of this movie, three to you, and I'll give one to to Carrie as well. Where would you stock the copies of this movie? Dave, we'll start with you.
0: Okay, Uh, I'll I'll knock out my three real quick. I think one should go on the Jean-Claude Van Damme shelf. This is our second Jean-Claude movie. So, of course, that makes sense. Uh, The second copy is going to go in our Die Hard on a blank section. This is very much Die Hard in a hockey arena. And the third one's going to be 90s action. This is the quintessential B-movie. It's on TNT a million times a month. Like this is 90s action and, and I think it's it's pretty good at it. So fourth copy to Carrie. Where, where are you putting this one? Well,
2: it's hard because I would have said a lot of those. Definitely would have said Die Hard to a blank. But if we have to put it somewhere else, uh, I'm going to put it on the silly fight scene sections up there with FX, FX2,
0: Ooh, yeah.
2: and some other movies that have silly fight, creative fight scenes.
0: I'll tell you what, you're throwing bullseyes here because I don't think we have a silly fight section yet. And of course, we probably retroactively should have had at least 10 on there. So yeah, let's start that shelf. And this is a perfect addition to that.
2: Because there were a few times when he had, like, the tube and stuff. I'm like, oh, this reminds me just of FX. Like, they're definitely just lifting a lot of the stuff from other movies.
1: Carrie, I'm right there with you. I think this gets its own shelf. And the shelf is just, I think the wall is blank, right? Whatever shelf it's on. There's nothing else on the shelf. There's just a copy of this movie. And the section is mascot fights. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's the only, it's such an insane moment that, like, hey, look, if another movie fits, we'll we'll find out, I guess, at some <laughs> point. But for right now, that just... I think if you see that section, you're like, well, I will rent whatever is in there. Sudden death, let's fucking do it. All right, now it is time for our own sudden death. We have to reveal the position of this movie on Punch Mountain itself, the definitive ranking of action movies. Before we do that, let's uh, review real quick. At the summit, currently at the top of the mound, number one, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, followed by Raid 2, The Matrix, Jurassic Park, Hard Boiled, and John Wick. And all the way at the bottom of the Punch Mountain, outside the stadium, where there that some guy's selling like those weird bootleg T-shirts. Some of them are probably offensive. And number forty-three, it is Chappie. All right, David. Before we reveal the mountain's judgment, where would you rank this movie? (laughs) I have no idea. Here,
0: okay. Here's what I'll say. Like as far as the action goes, it's a little pedestrian. Like there's not. You know, there's not big showcase fights. There's not big showcase action sequences. Everything is sort of here and then gone. You know, there's, there's gimmicks to it. There's a mascot fight. There's a hockey match in between. But this is very 90s. Powers Booth might be in Brad Wesley territory from Roadhouse as far as, like, top villains of the mountain. He really makes this movie. There's a lot of silly stuff going on. I wouldn't be surprised if this movie ends up higher than I'm expecting, but like just from action,
1: maybe middle, lower middle, somewhere around there. Yeah, this movie is someone jumping with a bungee cord. Like it just is, you know, they they jump off the bridge, they're rocketing down, and then the stupid or ridiculous parts of this movie that starts bouncing right back up. So I, I don't know either where this thing goes oh my god everyone tell your children to stay in their seats because the rocks are falling off the face of the mountain uh the golden letters are appearing revealing the position of sudden death and it is number 27 that means at 25 it is lost bullet 26 birds of prey the fantabulous emancipation one Warner quinn 27 sudden death 28 yes madam and 29 drunken master there you go
0: i like it that sounds good
1: Oh my God, David, do you hear that noise?
0: Oh, sounds like the end of the third period. Looks like we're going to sudden death.
1: (laughs) No, David, you could not be more wrong. That is actually a horn calling us to action. On this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting Food Share. FoodShare distributes nearly 19 million pounds of food, providing 16 million meals annually to people in Ventura County, California, through its hunger programs and 190 pantry and program partners. As Ventura County's regional food bank, FoodShare provides food for over 250,000 hungry friends and neighbors annually. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to FoodShare. Also, for every review we get on Apple Podcasts, we'll add $1 to that donation. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air. For more information on FoodShare or to donate directly to them, visit FoodShare.com. If you'd rather donate to your own local food bank, please do. And thank you. And Carrie, that was your pick because you, how do you know FoodShare, Carrie?
2: I volunteer there. I volunteer in that garden. Out there, I just, gardening, we just got some baby chickens, and they are also known as chicks, and they are really adorable. But, you know, any of your local food banks are great, you know, food insecurity, big problem. Yep. And if you don't have any money, I would say if you don't have any money to donate, it's very easy to donate at most food banks. You don't need to do trade, you just show up and then put you to work. So, want some cans, it's usually a good time.
1: That's awesome. Uh, You're a hero, Carrie.
2: Uh, and I like Jean-Claude Van Damme, like the fire marshal?
1: Well, I, I'd like to think you're better than that. I mean,
0: he killed a kid. That's oh true. Oh, I don't. Okay.
2: <laughs> there's also that guy in the training room that he let die, but we don't need to go back.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's for another conversation.
2: It's for Patreon where we go in depth.
0: You get it.
1: Yeah. We're a Patreon. You can read our script for Sun Death too. It, it's just, there's no action in it. It's just a, it's a slog to be honest with you. Just people rebuilding their lives. Carrie Lindo, thank you so much for doing this uh, episode with us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, don't be a stranger. The video store is always open for you. We'd love to have you back.
2: We'd love it. I'll pick a better movie next time. Or will I? Who knows? Oh, no,
0: this is great. <laughs> oh, go, go the other way. Go worse.
1: Is there anything you'd like to plug before we wrap it up?
2: You know, just follow me on social media because I'll post everything there. At Carrie Lindo.
1: Perfect
0: folks don't forget to add us on social media we're on instagram at Punchmount or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com you could also join us on discord the link is in our link tree the link tree is on our instagram macblaycomedy.com is your source for mac stand-up next week from 2005 directed by Pinka you starring tony jaw and featuring on this episode comedian kath barbadoro we're doing the protector i'm looking forward to that and we'll see you next week
2: bye bye